Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. It's time to strap our boots on. This is a perfect day to die. Wipe the blood out of our eyes. Thank you once again for coming to Bard's Logic Political Talk, part of the Conservative Conversation, and also part of the Patriot Journalist Network. And you can find the Patriot Journalist Network by going to www.patriotjournalist.com. And tonight, our beginning guest will be Randy Suffelbeam, who is running for governor of Illinois in 2018 for the Constitution Party. Uh, we'll be talking with him. Of course, we'll also talk a little bit uh, in our second uh, segment about goodbye, Obama. Uh, now, while I didn't unfortunately get the opportunity to watch the speech last night, uh, I was hoping to have some audio. Perhaps that'll be on our uh, next show. But uh, by that time, it'll be close to the inauguration of Donald Trump, a outsider. Yes, he ran as a Republican. And, yes, he won as a Republican. Uh, however, I think a big portion of him being uh, elected was because he was an outsider and seen by a lot of folks as a person not as tied to the Republican Party and thus those loyalties that are associated with those types of parties uh, not as ingrained. And I think it uh, may very well help set up for outsiders, you know what I mean by that is non-Republican uh, or Democrat, none of the duopoly uh, getting into finally uh, the system. And so I believe we have our guest on. It's great to have him uh, back on the show. I still fully don't have my voice back. So I should believe that after five weeks, uh, but it's, it's getting a little better. But let's go ahead and welcome our guest, Randy. Thank you very much, Randy, for coming to the show. How are you tonight? I am awesome, and uh, Happy New Year to you and your listeners. Yes, Happy New Year uh, to you as well. Uh, got a lot of uh, a lot of New Year's resolutions I have this year, uh, so hopefully you know we'll we'll get to them. Uh, last year uh, didn't end too uh, well on my end. You know, you know some, some family unfortunately uh, on my wife's side passing away, and, and dealing with those for the last uh, four weeks of the year. Uh, but as I said last uh, week, you know, very excited for a new year, uh, you know, with the guests and the audience and, you know, our listeners uh, for the show. So looking forward to a, a, a great 2017. 
Yeah, me too, and uh, it's already starting out pretty exciting. Uh, yes, it is. I've seen some of your posts on your website, uh, and, you know, I've looked into the calendar, which I'm sure you'll be getting that filled up uh, soon enough, as well as uh, the, uh, you know, the news pages you have there as well, you know, with uh, that I'm sure that will fill out over time. Uh, you know, you've got your uh, information from the campaign, your calendar, um, so that'll be uh, that'll be good to see how that how that flushes out. Yeah, and um, it, it's kind of a, a little bit of a slow start. I mean, obviously, you know, just getting the announcement just before Christmas, and people kind of focusing on uh, you know what happened in the the past year and what's uh, you know kind of still uh, penetrating all the national news right now with Trump, uh, you know, coming in to you know, the presidency and, you know, just uh, kind of getting things lined out for the new year and get the, uh, get the campaign out there and that sort of stuff. Uh, but uh, I'm telling you, pretty exciting, and already things are happening that have never happened before. Yeah, and I know, you know, Castle was your candidate, you know, for the Constitution Party. Uh, I still think that uh, – I'm not trying to take anything away from Castle – uh, I do think that Virgil Goode uh, was a, um, I, I have to say, just a better candidate, uh, you know, back in 2012, like, you know, presidential candidate. Um, I haven't talked to him for, you know, well, I can't believe it. it's been since July already. I think I might have uh, talked to him. Actually, got the opportunity to have lunch with him down in Virginia uh, this past July, but I don't think I've had the opportunity to uh, talk to him since. Um, I don't know if he's shied away from Clopacine. I know he was working on some things uh, around the Trump campaign. Around, I know he was at the convention. Uh, he, he called right. into the show from the convention. And I know he did. And uh, this, this point in time, he did endorse uh, Donald Trump. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, well, you know, part of that, of course, Virgil Goode had been a, a congressman and that sort of thing. And so, you know, there's there's the one thing that uh, Virgil had going for him is he's been a can- you know he's not only been a candidate before he not only had you know a, a fairly good uh, reservoir of funds uh, to to do what he needed to do, uh, but you know having been a congressman for uh, quite a few years and that sort of stuff, you know he had he had right. some things were you know on his side a little bit. I'll, I'll you know at least give him that part. You know what I mean? Right. No, understood. Yeah, he definitely had more, you know, uh, more play, you know, more play than, than Castle understood. Um, <clears throat> and then, you know, perhaps we could talk about uh, uh, Jill Stein's antics later, uh, you know, since we, you know, be talking about, uh, you know, third parties, alternate parties, perhaps we'll we'll talk about that, which it's actually kind of surprised me she did that. Um, and we had, actually, we had Christina Tobin on uh, some weeks ago, I guess it's been longer than that now, <laughs> but, you know, probably about uh, seven or weeks or so ago, uh, you know, discussing that in part, uh, you know, but just down with the recount and everything of that nature. Um, but, you know, I'd, I'd say, you know, all together, you know, you know, positive, you know, outlook with Trump getting elected. I mean, I'm, I'm surprised he did, to be honest. I thought the powers that be were, were really going to steal it from him. And I'm so relieved uh, that Hillary Clinton uh, is not going to be president. Uh, but I tell you what, I really do think that, and I think, uh, you know, you kind of made a quote or I've seen this in an article, whereas, you know, a, you know, a Trump, because he's, you know, let's 
be honest, an outsider, uh, even within the Republican Party, uh, I think his election really can, you know, at least opens up some possibilities uh, for your alternate parties, uh, you know, the outsider parties uh, in, the, in upcoming elections in the future. What do you think? Well, absolutely. Um, and two things. Number one, I, I believe that, you know, um, I did vote for my presidential candidate in the Constitution Party, Daryl Castle. Um, of course. And uh, I am thankful that uh, if uh, I can get by with this expression, uh, that the lesser of two evils won. And, uh, but, uh, you know, you mentioned Jill Stein and Gary Johnson. And what's real interesting is when I had uh, announced my race, um, there was a radio station there that asked some really, a, a guy, rep- a reporter from a radio station there, uh, asked some good questions. And he asked, you know, because I said, look, I think uh, the Trump campaign does point to the fact that our people are looking for something different. They are absolutely fed up with the same old, same old. And I think, you know, the, the Trump uh, campaign, I think the Trump election, and I think, you know, I think it all points to that people are fed up with the status quo. And, you know, with Jerry, Gary Johnson and Jill Stein, it's my opinion, they did everything they could to look like the status quo. They refused to show up at Christina <laughs> uh, um Right. Yeah, she talked about that. Yeah, they, they, they failed to show up at a third-party uh, debate because they felt like they were thinking better than, you know, the other quote-unquote third parties. And Jill Stein said mm-hmm. basically she wouldn't show up if uh, Gary Johnson wasn't going to show up. So I told this reporter that was there, he says, you know, uh, it looks like the Jill Stein, Gary Johnson, uh, you know, uh, responses were pretty – now, his term was uh, pretty dismal, but actually, as I've seen it, they, it was the record vote for a third party in the nation. So, you know, while, yeah, it, it was dismal in terms of how it st- stacked up to um, – to uh, Trump and Clinton, you know, the fact is people made this, uh, their their wishes known. And what was it, 7 million or more votes for uh, third-party and independent candidates? So, um, you know, I think people are fed up. But I think, you know, as I told this news reporter, I said, look, people are looking for something different. And Gary Johnson and Jill Stein did everything they could to look just like the, the status quo. So people are like, I'm not going to waste my vote on those clowns if I can waste my vote on somebody who has an actual chance to win. And I think that hurts their race more than anything else and really did a disservice to uh, third parties as a whole. Well, I think, well, I think two things. Uh, one is I think they could have done, and I mean third parties, in general, and and especially I think maybe Jill Stein is, I mean, because I, I did some exit polling, you know, on election day. I mean, and I talked to at least one young lady who she was a Jill Stein supporter, but she decided to uh, vote for Donald Trump because she could not stand Hillary Clinton that much. I mean, I think Hillary Clinton, I think if Hillary Clinton really actually hurt more third parties, uh, especially Jill Stein, then I think, uh, you know, than anything, <laughs> I mean, I think in part with what she did, but I think, you know, that that's one of the contributing factors. 
uh, for Jill is is people who would have otherwise voted for her, you know, were like, yeah, we can't let our vote get, not go uh, to Trump because just Hillary Clinton, I think, you know, I think she kind of she kind of hurt third party uh, votes as well just for for her running. Well, but Robert, that's every single election, every single one of them. We get people who, you know, say, I'm going to vote. I'm going to support you, Randy. And, and, you know, we hear this over and over again. And I will tell you, I won't use specific names, and I could. And I actually uh, responded to somebody on Facebook with the specific instance. But I will say that in 2007, in the fall session of the Constitution Party National Com- uh, Committee meeting that we held in uh, Council Bluffs, Iowa, Uh, That's just, you know, 2007 was the last meeting in 2007 for, you know, the 2008 election. And we had a group send representatives to us saying, if John McCain gets the nomination, we will be supporting your candidate. And I'm telling you, I sat in that meeting. I witnessed them telling us, this group, they told us that they would support our candidate if John McCain gets elected and John McCain gets the nomination. John McCain gets the nomination, and guess what? Supported John McCain mm-hmm. because of the lesser of two evils always prevails. That, that issue always prevails. And so, you know, recognizing that this is the absolute truth, this is what happens as long as I've been in, and I've only been in this process, been in, you know, politics since January of 2004. So, you know, 2016, this, we're coming up on, actually, this month uh, makes uh, 13 years that I've been involved in politics. And in that time, every single election, I've seen it over and over and over again. People want to do what's right. They really do. But then... Fear takes over, and oh, well, we got to keep Clinton out, or we got to keep Trump out. You know, so sorry, I, I support you. I believe in what you're doing, but I can't waste my vote on third-party efforts this time. And it's every time they say, "Well, uh, this is this just isn't the right time." Every single time, it's the same language over and over again. Um, Hey, listen, it's getting to the point, Randy, where you're going to split the vote. You need to drop out and support one of the major two candidates. That's the bottom line. And I hear that every single time. And at some point in time, if people want to see this country's direction change, if people want to see the change in Illinois come, they've got to start having courage and taking the stand. And I'm going to tell you, uh, if all you're going to do is vote, look, go somewhere else. I mean, yeah, I do want your vote, and I don't want to be too overly harsh, but I need far more than a vote. I need people putting together the resources, their time, their talent, and their treasure to make this a winnable situation. Because if not, we're just wasting our time, and I'm, I'm telling you, I'm done wasting my time. If we cannot inspire and move people to do the right thing, to show we have the, not only the will – but the ability to win this, then you know people are going to just capitulate to the lesser of two evils. Oh, we got to keep Clinton out. She's so evil. Oh, 
Donald Trump is such an idiot, blah, 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 blah. We can't have him as president. And, and you hear this stuff over and over again. And at some point in time, I am calling on the people to get courage to not just say, I will vote for you, but I will do everything in my power to get you elected. If we do that, we can change this state. We can change this country this coming you know, two years. Well, in other words, you know, to 2016, you know, and, and even the off years, 2015, yeah, see now, of course, they were, you know, they went to one of the major, you know, the, the two major parties. Now, for instance, Matt Bevin, we've had him a number of times on the show. He's now, speaking of governors, he's now the governor of Kentucky. And, you know, first he, you know, but he ran, you know, as Republican, but he ran as an outsider. I mean, he's never been in politics before. His first time he ever ran. Uh, as a business, you know, he's a business owner, uh, and he won the governorship. Now, when, when it comes to Illinois, which you're running for governor of Illinois, now right now, you know, we've got uh, – I think he's only in his first term, and that's Rauner, uh, who's a Republican of Illinois, um, you know, for, for governor. But, I, you know, I, I know usually, you know, they go Democrat there, and, and they're in the Democrats. They haven't really found anybody. I mean, they've got, at least in my last count, like eight people who are considering running for governor in 2018. So besides Rauner, you know, as one of uh, your opponents, then, you know, Democrat-wise, we really don't know who, you know, who will be on that side. Uh, so, you know, what, what can you say? I mean, what's your experience? I mean, I'm not in Illinois. Uh, what's your, been, your experience uh, with Rauner so far? Well, here's the thing. You know, Rauner seems like he hasn't, you know, he's not been terrible, but he's not been good. It's kind of a, you know, I can almost give or take, you know, round or that sort of thing. But here's the, here's, here's the bad thing, okay? Our Illinois state constitution mandates a balanced budget. And it doesn't just make a suggestion. It's not like, uh, oh, well, here's something you can do. It mandates a balanced budget. And so far, Rauner has not submitted a balanced budget, and the state legislature in the same article, uh, the constitutional article, says that the legislature has to also, you know, the, the governor is to submit a balance, and the legislature is to pass a balanced budget. And we are billions of dollars out of budget out of whack so you know while people can say he's he's not done so bad or whatever well the thing is things haven't got any better and they're getting far worse because of the pensions here is one quarter of the budget and it's expected to increase even more dramatically so if they don't get things taken care of you know the some of the departments specifically Illinois is the second largest employee, employer, excuse me. Illinois is the second largest employer in this country. But we're not the wow. second largest state. And so we're employing people. We're spending money that we don't have to, you know, in, in all these state departments and all this. We've got a court who said, who the Supreme Court says, you must pay the pension. So everything else, excuse the expression, everything else be damned. Uh, the pensions have to be paid, and uh, we don't have the money to pay for it. And so, the, you know, 
the, the next thing that's going to have to be is taxes are going to have to be raised to pay the pensions because that is such a high portion of the budget. And then there's, you know, so much other stuff. It's just like, uh, but Ronner's been there and nothing's been done. It's just been progressively gotten worse. So uh, as, as people, you know, remember the old saying that, uh, you know, it's not just somebody who does wrong, but those who do not do good permits evil to win. So, you know, you're, it's like being in the, in the river. If you're just in a boat in the river, guess what? You're not paddling. You may not be, quote, unquote, doing evil, but guess what? You're going downstream just as shortly, maybe a little slower, but just as shortly as if you were paddling downstream. And that's exactly what's happening here in Illinois. And with the pensions, you know, since we, you know, we that, that's an issue uh, to discuss. If let's say you were governor of Illinois, uh, what what would you do in that instance? What would be your solution for that? Well, I am working on that, and I've you know just really started focusing on that particular issue because it, it, it's one of the things that are you know it, you've got to you're going to have to have somebody come into the governor to make some hard decisions. And, um, you know, to and, of course, hopefully the legislature to back it up and that sort of thing. But uh, some of the things that we're going to have to do is really take a look at how the money is spent in Illinois, because um, trying to support this out of whack pensions with the the funding that we're having is just not going to cut it. So uh, a a couple of the there's been a couple of. proposed solutions and none of them are really hit i mean you know raising the taxes i mean that's one of the proposed solutions to you know start taking that on but uh at some point in time you know if we have to uh oh and as a part of the pensions part of the the pension deficit is uh teachers part of their pensions and so with the teachers union you know, supporting, you know, must have to pay the, these pensions. Well, mm-hmm. you know, at some point in time, Illinois is going to have to consider, you know, kind of the uh, the aspect of almost declaring bankruptcy. It's like, look, oh boy. some of these are not going to have to be paid, and either that or we're going to just have to start firing a whole lot of people to make up the difference of paying these. And so there's going to have to be some hard, hardcore decisions that are, are going to be made. And certainly I, I think uh, scaling back some of the government of Illinois is one of the, the, the first parts that we can start taking care of. There are several uh, state departments that um, are almost virtually unnecessary. In fact, they're spending more money they, – they're like the, – there's one of the uh, departments that was created under uh, Bogoyevich, and uh, the specific name goes out of my mind, but their, their task was to help all the other state departments um, cut back on their spending, help them save money, and do all that sort of stuff. And The bottom line is that the people that were hired and the expenses that are uh, incurred to fund this particular department far outrun any of the money they've ever saved. And so, you know, right there we could start saving money just to eliminate it, eliminate something that's just 
spending more money than the money it was created to save. And um, so there's a, there's several different areas that we have to start attacking um, in, in this process. And part of it, you know, there's there's um, the bonds that are, you know, being created to try to, you know, float things and, and that sort of stuff. All of this stuff has to be taken a look at. I don't have a uh, real uh, solid uh, definitive, here's the absolute we've got to do. Uh, but those are, you know, parts of the puzzle. Now, uh, you know, she had a list on your website of, of the different issues, and one of those are the war on drugs. I know in some states one of the things uh, they're proposing to bring in revenue is to uh, legalize marijuana and, for no better term, tax the hell out of it. Uh, so, you know, as a Constitutional Party candidate, uh, well, what are your yeah, thoughts well, on and what would be your stance on that? Well, here's the thing. Um Let's just say that was a great idea. The, the problem here in the state of Illinois isn't the fact that they've that the, the revenue base, it really isn't as bad as the spending problem. We don't have a revenue problem. We have some of the highest gas prices in the nation because they're taxing the hell out of it. Uh, cigarettes, oh, my gosh. Thank God I quit when they were still 50 cents a pack. And I had a date with it. Oh, my gosh. You know, that, what they call the sin tax, you know, all of this stuff. I mean, they're already taxing. You know, Robert, in, they brought in the lottery in the state of Illinois. It's actually a part of our Constitution, the state lottery. And the state lottery was brought in to subsidize education. Now, here it is. We've got a lottery that's bringing in billions of dollars. We have a department, the educational, it's also in the Constitution, to raise money for education and to regulate education. We have a national department of education that's supposed to be regulating and helping you know, fund education. We have property taxes that is supposed to be funding education. Well, guess what? They're saying we don't we, we need more money for education. Somehow we still need more money because our education in the state of Illinois is one of the worst in the nation, and this nation is at one of the bottom worst in the world. So money's not the freaking issue here. It's the utilization of the money that's the problem. That's where people have got to understand that we've got to get a control on where the money's going. So you know we the the the, um, the lottery. The, the money that's supposed to be going to education, you know, there's parts of this that I can't see, you know, but um, I can tell you that there's just so much misusage of our funds. In 2006, and I haven't seen the re most recent report, and I'm uh, investigating this now, um, we have an uh, auditor general that is elected or appointed, however you want to say it, by our state legislature for a term of 10 years. Now, back in 2006, it was uh, William, ha William Holland. And he, in the middle of 2006, I believe it was around July, might have been as late as August, but I think it was around July, he produced a scathing, the, it, it, he had gone through like, I was, it was three or four uh, departments of our state and uh, found $7 million 
unaccounted for, uh, checks that have been written and no idea where they are. Now, you know, some people are like, okay, what's a million dollars? But, you know, a million and a million and a million, a few more million here and a few more million there starts adding up to a billion. And, I mean, just the, the sheer lack of accountability here in the state of Illinois has to have a handle put on it. And I can tell you, because I watched, after that report, that he did a, a few more departments and found another $3 million missing. Just no idea where it went. And as far as well, I can tell, gone. <laughs> yeah, and, and not one head rolled. If I was governor, I'll tell you, there would be new heads of those departments because those heads would have been decapitated and they would have been gone. But I didn't see any of that happen. Politically, uh, <laughs> politically decapitated. <laughs> we don't want any <laughs> misunderstanding here for, for if there's any of the liberal listeners out there. now. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, exactly. The department head would be decapitated. Yeah, the department. Yeah, their their yeah their 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 position. Their hat would be their hat would be taken off. Exactly. So I was looking at uh, you know you know again we'll we'll, we'll uh, do more on the issues and we'll bring a, uh, bring some callers in. Uh, but I do see it's the bottom of the hour, so time for a little programming noting. So let's hear from the Patriot Journalist Network. You're not just listening to a show, you're part of the powerful voice of the conservative conversation on Blog Talk Radio. Nothing worthwhile has ever been accomplished without teamwork. PJNet invites you to help make a difference by adding your voice to the team, grassroots, conservatives working together to take our country back. To find out more, check out the PJNet hashtag and visit our website at patriotjournalist.com. Let PJNet add our muscle to your hustle. And definitely, folks, check out the Patriot Journalist Network by going to www.patriotjournalist.com. And so we bring it back to our guest, Randy, and we do have Susan on the line. So let's open up the line to her. Thank you very much, Susan, for coming to the show. How are you tonight? I had to get to the mute button because I had muted it. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> and it takes a while to go through all these little steps and tricks with everything. Well, hmm, let's see. We've been talking about Donald Trump, right? Uh, well, we've been talking about a lot of other things, other parties. And I have voted third party many, 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 many times. Um. So I don't feel guilty. I have done the best I could. <clears throat> Starting way back in the, let's see, what was it? Well, when I voted for George Wallace <laughs> and then John Schmidt of the American Party. And so, yes, I have done my thing. So I don't have anything to feel guilty about. I, I have at least tried. Um, but <clears throat> uh, I digress in the sense that so what do you think of all this stuff coming out about Donald Trump and the hmm, how how can I say this delicately the uh, hmm, prostitutes you think in that Russia? Delicately <laughs> what he supposedly did with them? Uh, um, I found some information. He's a well-known germophobic. 
And so if he instructed them to do this, he wouldn't be the germaphobic that he is. Uh, he has been, according to Eric Erickson, which I'm sure you know who he is, he was really against Donald Trump. Uh, but he said when he first sent Mr. Trump, he was instructed not to shake his hand because of his, of his germophobia. In most pictures of people, he's giving a thumbs up and not shaking hands. So that was rather interesting because I don't think he'd do the things they're accusing him of, which I was stunned to see someone commenting on it. He was a liberal. And I was like, huh? What's this? <laughs> okay. Uh, we've gone from all the... Uh, stuff that Rubio and him went into now we're accusing him of this and it's just amazing to me that these kind of things come up I don't I don't know <laughs> I don't know whether to laugh or cry no we're talking about things that supposedly that the Russians supposedly have on top have on Trump is, is that what you're trying to uh, is that what you're referring to well uh no, I don't know if they have anything on him or if this is just being made up by the uh, liberals out there. Uh, surely you know about the, uh, oh boy, I don't think I can say that on here. Yeah, it's sort of like when they're uh, <clears throat> practicing a certain, uh, uh, oh dear. Uh, practice <laughs> uh, called golden something or other. Uh, you you know, you know of what I'm speaking? I'm not, not? sure. I, I'm not sure I understand the question here. But I, l- let me say this about you know some of these things that are going on with Trump. You know what? What's golden, really golden showers. Okay. Well, well I know what that is. So, you okay. Know, here, here's my here's my take on it. You know, uh, I, I mean, I'm watching stuff float through Facebook, and I, I see all these memes, and I hear all this stuff, and I'm telling you, all of that is I, I I don't even pay attention to it. I don't give a rip about that. What I do give a rip about is the important issues, and what's you know, uh, what the media is going after is. And even Congress, you know, all those nasty Russians, those horrible, terrible Russians, they invaded the American uh, election uh, Yes, the the process. And blah, 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 blah. Uh, Let's go after those nasty, dirty Russians and, and those horrible people who, you know, invaded our election process. Well, you know, part of that is, um, the the okay nasty dirty Russians and I'm not even convinced that that's absolutely a, a deal here. Um, but here's the real crux of it. Let's just say they are guilty of it, okay? But here's the real important part of that. It's not that they did it. It's what was exposed by them. You know, they're, they're, yeah. Congress is. Right. I, said about the Russians doing it. Well, hey, I'm not upset that they did it. I'm ex- upset that the you know what they exposed. I'm upset that they can and and that whole process. In fact, I wrote an article, you know, that part of the deal, you know, that we've been talking about 
for years, you know, is the the fact that the election process can be hacked. You know, with all of these electronic voting machines and the numbers and how they're uh, transmitted and all of that, you know, it's it's a hackable situation. In fact, I just saw an interview with um, um, oh uh, John McAfee, the guy who you know um, he actually ran for and you know he uh, does a lot of computer security. You know he's the guy who created McAfee antivirus and that sort of thing. And he's like, look, we have no security. That's the one thing that we can guarantee. We have no security. Everything is hackable. And the fact that they can is, you know, really uh, a, a terrible point. We we haven't got anything fixed. We have no system of accountability and you know whether it was the russians or whether you know that none of that actually happened or whatever that's not the important part to me the important part is what was exposed that's what they should be focusing on oh yeah they're they're not denying anything they're not denying that stuff didn't happen they're you know they're they're denying that this this occurred so it's a red herring issue about going after the russians whoop de doo Let's lock down things. Let's find out what, you know, you know, all of those that stuff that was exposed. Let's let's take some action on that. Let's go for what's really important and what was actually exposed mm-hmm. with that whole problem. No, exactly. I agree with that. It's just like, you know, and and I do find it ironic that no one, you know, at least on the mainstream media is is concentrating on that. They're no one they're not denying what the, what they've exposed. They're just keep talking making the issue that what was exposed. But it was, you know, actually the exposing of it. Exactly. Right. But now, Robert, here's the interesting part. The next thing you know, I I found it. I posted it. It's It's for real. We have Russian Seahawk fans. And they are from Russia. And they sent our player who's been injured and can't play uh, a special hat. It's Russian looking and a stuffed doll. They have a Russian Seahawkers uh, registered, and okay. they are from they are from Georgia, from all the uh, let's see, not the one to the north of Florida, but the one to the south of Russia, the Baltic states, Germany, Czech Republic, and Ukraine and Belarus. <laughs> I think it's awesome. They are infatuated with the Seahawks. And it shows a picture of him in that cool hat that he walked out in. So why did they hack us? They've got Earl Thomas. <laughs> and they're Seahawks yeah. fans, you know. I just well, loved Robert, it. I loved it. You know, some of these uh some of these points, uh, you know, obviously, uh they're 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 really hot top you know, hot topic buttons right now because the, the, the media is uh, you know, concentrating on that and um you know, certainly I understand why, because, you know, they got to follow the money and that sort of thing and make money. And so they got to deal with what people feel are the hot issues. But, you know, bringing it back down to what we're doing here is that, um, you know, Trump, regardless of how you feel about him, uh, I mean, you know, I've, I've got some uh, issues and that sort of thing. But here's the thing. I am thankful the fact that he has paved the way and connected with a lot of people who are trying to get out of the whole status quo part. And so, you know, all of these uh, diversionary things that are happening, 
you know, really are uh, just that. They're diversionary. They're not focusing on the issue. It's kind of like the, the thing here in Illinois with, you know, how bad our budget is. They go after, you know, uh, peripheral issues that really, yeah, I mean, I understand there is some significance to it. But at the end of the day, here, here's the thing. We've got more people leaving Illinois. In fact, uh, I'm not sure of the exact uh, money amounts because they, I've seen a couple of different uh, uh, amounts. But the people that are leaving, they're like people making $70,000. The people that are coming into Illinois are making like maybe uh, $40,000. So we're losing a just if it if it was a one for one, we are losing more and more uh, possibilities of revenue because people are leaving this state uh, because of how horrible you know the budget, the money, the taxes, um, the uh, workman's comp, uh, tort reform is another uh, issue that you know why is medical costs so stinking high? It's because of the in fact, I don't know if you knew this or not or remember it, but, uh, you know, back um, – well, what year was it? Oh, I th- oh yeah, I think – I'm pretty sure it was just before <clears throat> Obama got elected. Uh, so somewhere around the two, 2006 timeframe, maybe 2007, um, you know, the president came in to Illinois, the very area that I live in, because it was the worst mm-hmm. area for, uh, for lawsuits. Doctors were leaving so fast out of the area that I live in that people were having a hard time uh, being able to get a doctor and being seen and stuff. And so the, it was so bad that the president came in to speak on the issue. So we've got so many important things to deal with that the, you know, the, the press – just likes to keep us focused on the the peripheral that at the end of the day, mm-hmm. while it's, it's interesting, it, it doesn't reach the level of importance that people are leaving for. You know what I mean? Right. We've got uh, uh, John on the line and we're going to get you in uh, shortly, John, uh, but we're going to go uh, bring things back to uh, some of these issues. Uh, that your, um, you know, that you have here on your website, and then you, you know, you're gonna get filled out, and and you know, as time goes on, you know, some of these are, you know, of course, ones that we, uh, you know, you normally, you know, normally see, you know, pe- people want to talk about when it comes to some of the issues, uh, but one of the ones uh, that I see that are uh, kind of stand out to me. Uh, you know, it's kind of different, and so I'd like to, you know, touch on those. Um, there's, there's a number of them we can go down the line, uh, but the ones that we're going to, as I say, bring you in, John. Uh, we're not going to go through all these before we bring in, John, just I want to, I'll list these, and then I'll, I'll bring you in, and then I want to touch these, uh, on these issues, because not a lot of people uh, talk about these. Uh, one is uh, agriculture, so that'll be interesting. Uh, I want to hear more about uh, your stances on that, and then there's gambling. You don't hear a lot of uh, you know, talking about that. Also, uh, talk about uh, national idea, ID, not idea, uh, national ID, uh, pornography, which is interesting. I don't think I've ever seen uh, that on the website. Uh, some people might go there. You might get the most clicks on that one. I'm just kidding. 
uh, Randy. And then, of course, uh, the last one, state sovereignty. And so those are some of the topics, you know, what a, you know, some of the issues, I should say, you know, they're on your website that, you know, kind of stand out as, as different topics that you don't, you know, always hear, uh, you know, the people running talking about. But first, before we cover those, let's go ahead and bring in John. Uh, thank you very much, uh, John, for coming to the show. How are you tonight? I'm doing fine, thank you. And Randy, uh, well, first of all, I'm going to make a quick statement. I found it kind of ironic that we talk about these different groups in America that's complaining about Russia spying and hacking our system, and then the people that mostly complain, and in my mind right now while I'm telling you this, I'm thinking of watching some of the confirmation hearings and they're referring to these same issues and talking, asking these people their stances. And I think, what a hypocrite. You congressmen are sitting there berating this guy over spying and whatnot, but you do it to weed the people through the NSA and every other intelligence Absolutely. agency in America. You, you take our tax dollars, and then you spend it on technology to monitor and protect us to protect yourself yep. against us. But I did have a question for you, Randy. Um, when, when you are going through your campaigning and stuff, and the reason I'm saying this is because, as Robert will tell you, I was a, kind of a supporter of Mr. Daryl Castle until the last couple of weeks. And the reason I'm asking you this question is it seemed to me that I started noticing from all of my conversations with different people and watching the media and and even checking on elections that a lot of states, Mr. Castle was not even on the ballot. So there's a problem with getting access to the ballot that needs to be dealt with. I, I want your feedback on some of this. And then also the other aspect is, is that um, the presidential debate commission was mr castle did he get an opportunity to even apply and try to get in that debate or those debates and then also the media because they seem to have some kind of special exclusive contract with all of with the democrats and the republicans how's mr castle supposed to get enough exposure to for people to know he's even available because the majority of the people i bumped into they always talked about Trump and Clinton. And I say, well, hey, haven't you heard of third parties, you know, like the Constitution Party and Mr. Darrell Castle? Are you familiar with him? And they're like, who's that? I've never heard of him. But they sure carry on a great conversation about Trump and, and uh, Hillary Clinton. I think it's in due part to these issues that I just raised about the media having some kind of exclusive deal with the Democrats and Republicans only to let them be in the debates, and then there's got to be some Democrat-Republican snafu going on with our election laws that only allow certain people to do certain things to get on the ballot, and the third parties have to jump 14,000 hoops to get on the ballot, and then also, you know, just the media not covering it and the, um, just trying to get the word out there that the person's right. even eligible, you know what I'm trying Yeah, absolutely. Do you understand what well, I'm saying, Randy? Yeah, thank you for those questions, John. Um, you know, I got to tell you, uh, when I first got into the Constitution Party, 
the mantra that I used to hear was, media blackout, media blackout, the media won't come here, media blackout, media blackout. Well, you know, as I started watching what was going on and that sort of thing, I'm like, look, I got to tell you something, folks. If I was in the media, I wouldn't cover you. And the reason I say that is because, you know, people think that somehow they are owed media coverage. And I'm not one of those people that say I'm owed media coverage. I think the problem with it is that we have not been media worthy. We've not been doing the things that make news. Now, I will tell you something. Some things are happening uh, in this campaign, and this is not my first go-around. Robert can tell you, I ran for governor in 2006, and as a write-in candidate with a name like Stufflebeam, I got nearly 20,000 officially recorded votes. And I know of thousands more that uh, uh, we didn't get because of, you know, shenanigans. Uh, then in uh, 2010, I ran for the U.S. Senate here in Illinois, and uh, the Republican Party spent nearly a quarter of a million dollars to knock me off the ballot. We have to get 25,000 uh, uncontestable signatures, and we have 90 days to do it in. People know that we typically have to deliver about 50,000. Well, in 2010, mm-hmm. we delivered – about 35,000. The Republican Party, through their general counsel, John Fogarty, who is their general counsel, he was the their attorney, um, they, uh, they spent nearly a quarter of a million dollars, brought in handwriting experts and all kinds of stuff. At the end of the day, through uh, a couple of uh, court cases and, and everything, they kept us off the ballot by 65 signatures. And we had the... Uh, uh, one more remedy, we could have gone to the Illinois Supreme Court, uh, but with two weeks left, uh, it, it was it would have just been a uh, exercise in futility. Even if we'd have got the 65 signatures back, which we were confident we would have, that would have been another week, and it would have been a week before the uh, general election. And so, knowing mm-hmm. that it'd be the week, not a way, there's not a fat freaking chance that even if I'd have won ballot access. That the Supreme Court would have said, "Okay, Illinois, you got to reprint the ballots, and they got to spend millions of dollars." Oh yeah, that's not going to happen. They're not going. It never happened. So even if I would have won the court case, it would have been a, a futile effort. Um, so you know, I, I I've been in this uh, enough to know that uh, there is a huge hurdle. They try to make it as difficult as possible. But I will tell you, I do know that people are looking for something different. In 2006, when I ran for governor, uh, the Green Party, Rich Whitney, actually got on the ballot. And so there was actually three people on the ballot. Uh, there was the you know standard Republican and Democrat, but there was the Green Party as well. Rich Whitney, and I'll guarantee you probably 90% of the people, I at least the majority, I can't give a percentage, I don't know, I didn't you know get the matrix, but here's the thing. He received at least 13% of the vote. All he needed was 5% to become an established party, and he got nearly 13%. And I'll guarantee the majority of the people that voted for him had no clue who Rich Whitney of the Green Party was. They didn't freaking care because it wasn't Judy Bartopinka, the Republican, or Rob Goyevich, the Democrat. So put that in light. 
of what happened with um, <coughs> with uh, Trump. People are looking for somebody who's not a part of the status quo that can inspire them, that can make them believe that they have what it takes, not only the will to win, but the ability to win. And so I am – part of my job as a candidate is to inspire people to engage in this process, to not just simply you know, uh, vote, but to get engaged. Now, here's the thing. In Illinois – just two years ago, we suffered the historical record low voter turnout. 75% of the eligible voters did not come out to vote, meaning 25% of the eligible voters came out, which means if you split it in half, wow. and of course, no, it's not, but if you split it in half, you know, um, it was 12, 12.5% uh, for the Republicans and 12.5% for the Democrats. And when people tell me, oh, Randy, you're going to split the vote, you know what I tell them? Keep your stupid votes. It's only 12%. I'm going after that 75% of disaffected voters that have given up hope that their votes matter anymore. And so I am trying to inspire people not just to simply vote, but get engaged and say, look, you know, here's a guy that can really do it. And so not only am I trying to get people to understand the voting process, but I am trying to inspire them to get engaged. Let's give her one final shot. Guess what? I got nothing to lose, folks. You know, and, and, and so uh, and, and we have everything to gain. And so I just I just believe that right now, in fact, you know, talk about the the, the press. I made my official announcement on December the 15th, and I was the first candidate to officially announce my race. And I'm telling you, I got awesome news coverage. News Channel 20, Springfield, covered it. Uh, there was a radio station, WTAX, who covered it. And I've got the links on my website that uh, have the, uh, the links to those uh, – particular things. NPR Illinois took one of those interviews because it was only those two uh, media mediums that came. Uh, NPR Illinois used part of one of those interviews. And I'm telling you, they have used awesome material. They have legitimized what I'm doing. They've given me credibility to what I'm doing. And I, I didn't realize, I knew it was smart to go out there and announce first. I just didn't understand how brilliant it is. You know, we talk about why aren't the why isn't the media covering us? Well, guess what? I stepped out as the first person to officially declare candidacy, and I was covered by the media. I made myself newsworthy. Tension is to at least try to every week do something of some significance, a major thing. We've got uh, 22 months before the next election. That means uh, times that by four, so about 80 weeks, 80 some odd weeks. Before the election, 88 weeks, I'm not sure where we're at. So I've got that many opportunities that I need to get myself out there, you know, going to events, doing the things that real candidates do. And that's part of the problem with a lot of third-party people. Most of the time, the our third-party and independent people, they're just disgruntled citizens. And that's good. I was a disgruntled citizen. That's why I'm in the Constitution Party. But what happens is, they think they can just simply ride and do like everything like the Republicans and Democrats. We had uh, in Missouri, 
Cynthia Davis, and I think you know her, uh, Robert. Um, the uh, she 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 was a state representative. She did four terms and then had to leave the because it's a four-term uh, situation there. So right. she turned out and she uh, came over to the Constitution Party. And uh, now bear in mind, she was a Republican. She was in the legislature. She was voted the most constitutional legislator in Missouri, received the Lock and Smith Award for it. And uh, she comes to the Constitution Party, and she was a little bit bewildered. She said, Randy, I had people I had no idea who they were. They just simply wrote a $20,000 check to me just simply because I was the Republican conservative candidate. Well, that doesn't happen here. So what we have to do is we have to be able to give voters the, the, the confidence that we have what it takes to do this race. Every candidate needs to have this understanding. When you're doing third-party and independent races, you cannot wait to the last second to announce your race and think you're going to get anywhere. I announced two years in advance because I know it's going to take a lot of work to do what I have to do to make sure that we do it before that election. I've got to build confidence in people to allow to make them understand I not only have the will to win, but the ability to win, and that with their help, we can do it. And I've really got to make this understood with people here in Illinois, because let's just say I did win and became the next governor of Illinois. Well, if I don't have the backing of the people, I'm up against the Chicago machinery, the machinery that's run Illinois for years and years and years. And there's no chance I can stand against that machinery unless I have the backing of the people to do it, that they will rise up and take matters into their hands and help me do this. So there's a lot of work to be done, and I think I've answered most of your questions um, the, the ballot access, it's huge. I understand how huge it is. And um, it's going to cost us some money. And I'm hoping that people hear me and will start donating to the campaign on a, 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 on a consistent basis because I know we can do this. And more important than their money is their time. If they will don't, I mean, imagine if, uh, let's just say, a thousand people donate 10 hours. That's 10,000 hours, folks, 10,000 hours of time that we could really do and accomplish things. And if more people, just imagine the multiplication of that and how that could go. And, um, but, you know, with uh, Daryl Castle's thing, uh, part of the problem, I mean, I love Daryl Castle. He's a very close personal friend. I love everything he stands for. But he waited to the last second to officially announce. Now, he had some health problems, don't get me wrong, and there's some other things. But waiting to the last second, you cannot build a campaign in three days or however long to, before you go into the, your convention and then hopefully get everybody to back you and do those things. That's why I announced two years early, because we've got a lot of work to do. And my intention is to be a model candidate to show independent and third-party people how it is to be a real campaign and stand on the issues until, instead of the fake Johnson who used the libertarians and, and, and all of that, we got to show people how it's really done and do it on moral principles, do it on right principles, become statesmen that our founding fathers were. we got a lot of work to do, and I believe we can do it. Yeah, Randy, I, I was going to – 
Real quick, John. Real quick, John. I do see it's the top of the hour, so uh, some programming notes uh, about folks. Uh, check out the Bard's Logic Political Talk website at www.bardslogicpoliticaltalk.com. Uh, you can check out all the different pages there, uh, as well as our live uh, Newsmax TV and the What's New uh, is the Bard's Logic Newsroom. You heard me uh, talking more about that. Check out the article. You can even subscribe to that. And, of course, you can share tonight's show uh, by going to the homepage, and you can tweet it out if you're a Twitter user or also share it on Facebook as well. Or you can contact me through the contact portal where you can see where I have uh, the email uh, that I send out uh, to our friends uh, to listen to the show. So you're welcome uh, to do that. So, again, check out the website at www.bardslogic.com politicaltalk.com and uh, back to you guys is one of the things I think would be helpful uh, and, and you talk about something that would be newsworthy and, I, and this is something I've been wanting to see frankly uh, for a long time and I think it would really help uh, the Constitution Party not just Constitution Party but a lot of your alternate parties uh, and that is something I'm sure you're familiar with this Randy what's called ranked or preferential voting uh, I think if that perhaps could be you know, an, an, an issue, a new issue, and we'll, we'll cover some other issues later, but maybe a new issue or something that uh, part of your campaign would be get people to be aware of what preferential voting or ranked voting can do. Uh, and because I think the way it would really help is this, and, and you pointed this out in the beginning of the show, you hear all the time, one voting for the lesser of two evils, I'm voting for the lesser of two evils. Well, why not have yourself a backup? Vote for the person you really, in preferential voting or ranked voting, vote for the person you really support. And then your second ranked person that you like, you know, or would be the lesser of the two evils, whether like this year it would have been Trump, that would be put your second. I mean, it's not something that's new. It's been done. Uh, they do it in Australia. They do it in Ireland. Uh, and Ireland's got a, an awesome uh, ranked voting system, preferential I mean, it's a highly mathematical, but it's something that I think will work. And I think a lot of people would just step in line like, well, great, I can actually vote for the people I want to. I could put them in the rank that, you know, that I, I prefer them. And so you've got happy voters. You've got people who probably would, you know, actually, and you pointed out this as, as well earlier, uh, Randy, is people who are, aren't just going to the polls. I mean, you know, they're just not showing up. And so perhaps this would be something they'd be excited about. You know, like, hey, this is something I've been wanting to do. Let's finally do it. And what's your thoughts on that? Yeah, there's a couple of uh, different uh, options, and that's certainly that's far better than what we've got. Um, you know, and, and but you, you also have to, at the same time, be able to overcome, as uh, John was uh, mentioning earlier, is the, the just the abhorrent ballot access issue because even if you got preferential voting, if you don't have people you, that you can actually vote for, uh, it becomes problematic. So there's there's a couple of things that need to be taken care of in the process. But certainly, uh, you know, Christina Tobin has uh, you know uh, posed a, a couple of issues, and some of them are on the border of that very same thing. You know, I'd definitely like to see more of that uh, 
that come out. I mean, I, I just think that, for one, I think be more democratic. You know, I think that, you know, would really open it up, uh, you know, for you guys as well as, you know, inter- you know, and that could introduce more parties, more people uh, in, into the process and, and give people more choices. I mean, that's one of the things we hear a lot about as well. Like, well, these are the choices we've got. Well, no, you don't. You've got this person, that person. And, yes, ballot access, of course, it, you know, that needs to be. Uh, and also, you, you mentioned the media. I mean, I think they really need to change uh, how they do the debates as well, not just the federal debates, you know, or the, sorry, the national debates. You know, I think, I think, you know, it's probably pretty much the same with, and you can answer this for me, Randy. I mean, our state, our state debates, are they pretty much the same as the national when it comes to trying to get on uh you know, that that type of debate, let's say, for your gubernatorial campaign? Yeah, absolutely. It's, it, you know, uh, and the, the bottom line is, and until we level the playing field, that's just the way it's going to be because here's at the end of the day, you know, um, we've had several different organizations that have uh, done third-party debates. I mean, uh, we did a debate, and actually, again, Christina Tobin was a part of it um, back in 2010, or was it, well, I think it was just going in, I think it was the fall of 2009 uh, at the DeCoin State Fair, uh, we had what was called a Liberty Fest, and there were uh, a, a debate there. In fact, I've got pictures from that debate on my website, and um the uh, there there was a couple of candidates. Uh, one specifically, a guy by the name of Doc Walls, who had gotten marginalized as a um, Democrat. But by and large, uh, what what happens is that uh, the all of the candidates were invited. Um, you know, the Republicans, the Democrats, as well as the third parties and independents, all of them were invited to that debate. But, of course, they never show up because, you know, it it does them absolutely no good to show up, the incumbents and that sort of thing. Because if they show up, the only thing it can do, really, they recognize it. The only thing it can really do is hurt them. And so Mm -hmm. recognizing that it's going to hurt their efforts, they're not going to show up. They're not going to let people hear the real issues and, you know, what, let themselves get really challenged. So, you know, they're going to do, do the best they can to avoid any of those type of circumstances that might expose how they really stand on the issues. Well, that's something that, you know, I, I think that needs to go out to the people. And I think once, you know, they, you know, if the people start demanding it, I mean, I, I mean, I see that, you know, a lot in the in the, the the Trump campaign, and here's kind of a little bit about my analysis uh, of the 2016 presidential election. Is I think that the powers that be, globalists, related, whatever you want to call them, I think they certainly had the power to fix this election. I really do. I think that they actually had ways that they could hack the voting machines to make Hillary Clinton the winner. I really do. I really truly uh, believe that. We we had shows uh, prior to the uh, election, you know, that we talked about that. But I think that the, you know, at least nationally, 
uh, the movement was behind this outsider, Donald Trump, never been a politician before, you know, in his life. Okay. I, I mean, I went to four Trump rallies during the election and I did, I interviewed, you know, I don't know how many people and talked out how many people, but, you know, I mean, I talked to people in their forties who that was the very first time they've ever voted. And this yep. was in the, you know, in the primary and in the, in the general election. And, you know, it, it was a movement. I mean, I really do think what happened with Trump was a movement and, and a lot of them, they didn't vote for him because he was a Republican. They voted for him because he was not a politician. You know, right. I think a lot of people did that. Uh, I, I, and that's why, I'm, you know, I, I thought perhaps at least on down ballots, you know, throughout the country, maybe there could have been a, a rise, at least a, at least a slight rise in number of third-party candidates who, you know, maybe got into, you know, state legislatures or, you know, or something of that nature. I don't know if that, if that came to fruition, but I thought it, you know, might have been a good year for it. Uh, but I think people just want to get Democrats the hell out. So, you know, put a bunch of, you know, decided, you know, put a bunch of Republicans in. Well, you know, but, I mean, I think that's – go ahead. Well, I was just going to say that, you know, uh, I know that while I don't agree with – you know, I would, be, I would be closer to the Republican than I would be a Democrat. But here's the thing, Robert. I know for a fact that there are good men and women – that get elected in both of these parties, the Democrats as well. But what happens is that in the process, there is control there at the top. And you, you kind of mentioned it a little bit. Uh, and, and, you know, on the, uh, on the uh, risk of sounding as a conspiracy theorist, the fact is, that there is absolute control at the top. Um, you know, it, people just don't understand how much control is exerted. Good men and women get elected in the process, and then what they find, they find themselves to be marginalized, and what happens is they then start compromising on many of the issues that they went in and said, I'm going to stand strong when all others failed. Well, what they failed to recognize is the absolute power that the two-party system uh, exacts on people. They just don't have that understanding. So, you know, uh, it's going to be real interesting. The, the, the advantage that Trump has had, now has had, is the fact that he had his own money that he was spending despite the fact that the Republican Party tried to axe him out of the process. And so oh, yeah. he, was able, he was able to stand regardless. But now that what's happening is, and, and you know, I got a feeling that it's part of the process that one of the reasons why there's such hatred towards Trump having any of that money is if they can eliminate his access to that money, he will be much more vulnerable than he was when mm-hmm. he was campaigning because he's not going to be able to finance right. everything he had done in the past. So here's the thing. Recognizing that there is an absolute power up there at the, you know, at the top levels, we have to understand you know, what, 
what we're going to be facing as we move forward. And so the idea is that, look, at the state level, I'm going to be facing the Chicago machinery. The Chicago machinery is no joke. It's not something that's going to be played with. And so if I'm going to have any capability of really fulfilling the things that I promised that I'm going to be taking a shot at, I've got to have people backing me. And the process, part of the process is that my, my intention, you know, I recognize that, again, a lot of the legislators that are there, they got elected and they had no idea how powerful it is up there. They thought they would be the one to stand when all others failed. And my intention is, because I'm not a Democrat, because I'm not a Republican, then I can then free their hands to do the very things they went there to, and got elected to do. I'll be able to free their hands to finally start acting on that. But, you know, we, we've got to really realize the powers that be. And it's going to be interesting watching how Trump faces the powers that be. No, I, I agree with that wholeheartedly. You know, I mean, I, I've not even seen some instances where I, you know, uh, I, truth be told, I mean, I was a big Trump supporter in this, uh, and you probably know that, Randy, uh, this time around. And, and and people are like, oh, well, you know, you're all about Trump. It's like, look, for one, Hillary Clinton, I just I couldn't imagine someone, and, and I'm with you, Susan, uh, is that, you know, I, I voted many a time, supported many a time, you know, you know, alternate parties, alternative parties, uh, you know, Virgil Goode, you know, all the way Rocky Anderson when I was a kid, you know, um, or John Anderson. But anyway, um, I knew Anderson was his last name. I mean, but that was 10, so I can't really remember what his first name was. But it was, uh, I mean, it was running for, well, I guess, Reagan and Cardin. It was an independent, I believe. And so, you know, but I, but this time around, I mean, I, I made no, you know, try, didn't try to hide it. But this, this time around, you know, I mean, I was, all behind Trump because, well, I mean, I couldn't imagine us electing someone as corrupt as Hillary Clinton. Uh, that just just that, that just did not seem right. You know what I mean? It just did not seem right that that to possibly have her uh, be the president of the United States. And plus, yes, uh, he ran as a Republican, uh, but I um, I don't really think I, I don't really see Donald Trump as a Republican. Uh, I really don't. I think he's the most unrepublican. You know, I'm not saying he's a Democrat. You know, I'm just saying he's not really either one of those two parties, frankly. Um, you know, maybe you could call him from the business party or something. I don't know. Um, but he certainly, you know, I don't think of the same cloth as, as them, especially the establishment, you know, the Republican Party. You know, I, I don't really think he's um, you know, part of that. I mean, and, and we will. We, you know, we'll see what you know, happens, we'll see uh, the powers that be. But we, what I'm thinking, you know, is what you were saying earlier, Randy, about, you know, getting to free those politicians' hands. And, you know, I, 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 don't, I don't think it'd be, it would be pretty likely, but, I mean, if it would be possible, it might be something to shoot for is, you know, I mean, do you think there would be a possibility of anyone who's you know, sitting in office now uh, who you could, you do know, and you could free up their hands, but they may actually – would endorse you for as the uh, for the gubernatorial candidate, you know, for governor. 
Any any of those well, candidates you think that are that are in office now? I think there there are, and there used to be more. Um, I, I don't know. I'm real comfortable with naming names per se, but um, sure. You know, I, there was a there was a guy that uh, I, I tell you, he was he was phenomenal. He was a state senator. He's no longer a state senator. Uh, he's still in politics and he's still doing some things. But uh, I will tell you. In fact, he was kind of. I always looked at him, kind of considered him being the uh, the Doctor No of the the legislature, kind of like what uh, Ron Paul was known as, because he was always. It seemed like he was always going against the legislation, trying to vote for what was right and what was principled, and um, he was one person that absolutely would have specifically fit that mold of somebody that would have looked to have his hands freed by somebody that could do that. And I've talked to others, um, you know, when talking to some of these legislators, especially when uh, Blagojevich was in office, the guy said, Randy, I've tried to go in and talk to the governor, and his door is absolutely closed to me. And I'm like, how is that possible? I'm thinking, you know, I would have my doors open to every single legislator there. I want to hear what's on your mind. See if we can't work out a a, a well-reasoned response to these things and get Illinois back on track. So it's going to take some serious hard work and, like I said, you know, to try to really get people to know and understand that this is the track we need. Uh, more of the two-party duopoly is just going to get us more of the same. You, the, the Democrats won't work with the Republicans. The Republicans won't work. And if they do, it seems to be if they ever start working together, it always seems to be for our detriment, never for our better. For <laughs> yeah. yeah, no doubt. So I think, you know, with somebody that's, Truly, not, and I think it even has to be more if we are seriously going to do this on a consistent basis because the legislators, when they get in, just like, you know, for instance, if a legislator gets elected here in the state of Illinois, guess what? Their chances of actually getting their issues taken care of becomes very, very slim because they're never going to get elected to or appointed to any serious um uh, um, committees where they can actually do some things and move some mm-hmm. things. It's going to be, you know, the old codgers that have been around for years and, the, you know, the old machinery. Well, you know, if we start getting more people uh, elected to the process, and I'll, I'll give this antidote uh, r- real quickly. Uh, you know, people say, Randy, you don't have a, uh, a, a constituency to work with. And, you know, for years I'm like, oh, they got kind of a point. How am I going to do this? Until there was a guy by the name of um, uh, Jor, uh, Rick Jor. He, uh, he was elected as a Constitution Party candidate to the state legislature of Montana. And what happened was, because he wasn't a Republican or a Democrat, people started going to him 
for support for their issues on both the Republican and Democrat sides. In fact, one of the most phenomenal things happened. He was actually appointed, because he wasn't Republican or Democrat, he was actually appointed to the most powerful committee to chair it in the House, the Finance Committee. Mm-hmm. So the, the, the fact is that if we start getting people into the legislatures, we can actually start really affecting change uh, because we're not a part of the two-party system. We're not captured by that, as it were. And so I believe this is the only way we're going to be able to take back our state and uh, country is to have a multi-party system. Mm-hmm. No, I have, to, I have to agree with that, and, and I thought, you know, thought that for years. And uh, see, we got a quarter after the hour, uh, so let's go uh, see if you know bring things back at a roundtable and then go to those issues. Uh, you know, I was talking about that. I want to you know, flesh out more of, uh, and let's go ahead and bring it back to you, Susan. If there's any uh, comments you'd like to add in uh, to our discussion thus far. No, he's. <clears throat> Oh, not really. He's very energetic, though. <laughs> and, oh, well, that's uh, gunny for you. <laughs> pardon? Oh, that's, you know, that's, he's, gunny. He's, that's gunny for you. That's the Nick, little nickname we have for him. <laughs> yes, he's, he's got it going on. <laughs> I hope he's successful at whatever he does, you know, whichever party he goes under. You know, um, I don't know if he knows who Lawrence Patton McDonald was. The representative from Georgia ran on a Democrat ticket. He, I think it was Ron Paul that told him, doesn't matter what ticket you're on, just get on one and run. And so he ran as a Democrat, but he was not the kind of Democrat we know because he was, he took over from, uh, Robert Wells is the head of the John Birch Society, and then he was murdered when that plane was taken out on purpose over Russia. Because um, he was exposing a lot of uh, about the secret NWO and New World Order and all that. And uh, so it isn't the party, it's the man that you should vote for. And that's the sad thing, a lot of people don't. They just vote for a party. That's never been my motive, that's for sure, is to vote for a party. Because here in Idaho, um, Otter, God help us, uh, he's not as bad as Jerry Brown, thank goodness, but he's pretty bad, and a lot of Republicans, including me, don't like him. But I voted for the Democrat guy, uh, because he was nicer, and he was willing to sit down and talk to Republicans and other people and listen and we figured some of us that were more hardcore conservatives that it'd be better to have him in office because the Republicans would buck him just because if he did something really, you know, just because he was a Democrat. Uh, a few others, I voted um, for the Constitution and Libertarian Party. I don't vote straight Republican. I just don't. I did vote for our two senators. They were... Republicans and Labrador is Republican. Unfortunately, he's not my representative. That idiot Mike Simpson is, but I didn't vote for him. 
I voted for a, I can't remember it's Constitution or Libertarian or something else, just because I felt, you know, he he's such an idiot. He truly believes this is a democracy. And no matter how much I correct the man, he can't get past that and say the word republic. So I said, you're not getting my vote. And he didn't. So I think you have to look at those things. If your Republican guy is good, vote for him. If your Democrat guy isn't bad, vote for him. If your Constitution or Libertarian guy uh, or lady uh, is good, vote for him. And darn, damn, the consequences, you know. If, if there's a loss, you just have to live with it. It's the way it is. Yeah, I really, I don't disagree with that. Um, locally here, now typically, um, you know, nationally, I'm always going to vote for my guy um, unless he was, you know, actually violating some of the principles that I believe in because, and one of the thing, interesting thing was, I, I, I'm telling you, it, it was a just an awesome interview uh, that the, and the media that covered it uh, actually used a quote. Uh, you know, I'm so used to the media marginalizing everything that we do. And um, the, the fact is that this media coverage the last time actually gave me credibility. And, you know, it, mm. it was just amazing. They did so, that a lot, actually, this year. They did, I heard more things about third parties this year on the main, in the mainstream media than I ever have. Yeah. So well, I maybe think, not ever, well, but in a long time. <laughs> right. Pro, but I think, I think it, really goes, it really goes to the point of we've got to start having credible candidates. We can't have the goose goofballs if we're going to maintain any sort of credibility. And, and you know, it's kind of like uh, it's, it's really, you know, you probably have heard multi-level marketing. And there was a point in time back in 1984 – uh, I was actually in Amway. Now, here's the thing. Multi-level marketing is a legitimate way of doing business, a way of having a, a business that makes money. It's, there's legitimacy. But because of the things that were done, when I had to try to tell people you know, uh, to do some recruiting and that sort of thing to bring people into the business, I could not tell them out of the gate that I was in Amway. If they did, they'd hold up a cross in front of me and, you know, start throwing holy water at me. You know, there was such a, like a cult. <laughs> Seriously, I mean, it was bad. Uh, right, I, was, I, I did Amway for a little while. Yeah, I did Amway a little got, while in, in the uh, early 90s. Yeah, it what got a bad, bad because of how some people were doing business. And so, you know, there was a point of, oh, it's a pyramid. It's an illegal pyramid. We can't do that and all this other stuff. No, it really wasn't. But there was some people that were doing some illegal pyramids and that sort of thing. So I, the, the point I'm making is that in the third-party independent thing, there have been some people that have really done some foul, awful, stupid, clownish things that have br- brought discredit upon you know, the effort that we have. But there is a real credible reason why we do this, and we need people of credibility to bring legitimacy to what we are doing. And I'm hoping 
that that's part of my purpose in this. I've been, you know, this Constitution Party since uh, 2004. I've been a chairman of the party of the state of Illinois uh, for most of that. Uh, I was national vice chairman. I'm chairman of the uh, Midwestern region. And so I believe in what we're doing. I believe it's necessary. But, you know, we've got to do what we have to to bring credibility to the process or it's never going to go anywhere. And so my, part of what I do is to try to be as, as credible as I can possibly be so that, you know, other candidates will start rising to the occasion and start doing the things because we've got to have not just onesies and twosies here and there because they'll always be taken out. We've got to have develop a system whereby we can have a constant and consistent stream of other of alternate candidates besides the major two. And before we bring uh, bring you back in, John, I do see it's the bottom of the hour. And whether you're listening live or listening uh, to the podcast, uh, either here on Blog Talk Radio or listening to it free, downloading it for free as well on iTunes. And yes, you can. Uh, download each and every episode on your mobile device free on iTunes. Just look it up at Bard's Logic Political Talk and download the show, and you can share the content with your friends. Uh, so that's one way. Also, uh, here on Blog Talk Radio, there is a follow button, uh, whereas you'll get periodic emails uh, from us as well. So push that little follow button and follow the show uh, too. And, of course, again, go to the website at www.bardslogicpoliticaltalk.com, uh, and you can go to the contact page where you can uh, send me a message, uh, and you can also, on the home page, uh, follow me on Twitter as well. And you can also uh, look me up on LinkedIn if you'd like uh, to do that, too. Uh, you're welcome uh, to do so. So we are at the bottom of the hour, so how we're going to do is uh, we're going to bring you back in, John, and then we're going to go over some of these specific uh, uh, issues here. Now, one of them I, I find interesting because when you think of Illinois, you really don't think about agriculture. <laughs> so that's one of the first ones that I want to uh, issues I want to cover and kind of get you know to flesh out uh, some of that. You know, first of all, the other issues that kind of stood out to me is something that folks normally don't uh, talk about. So let's go ahead and uh, bring it back to uh, you, John. But first, uh, if you are out there and you want to listen. Uh, in or to chime in, give us a call at 347-945-7428. Now, the way the show goes, a little programming note, is if you do not uh, call in within the next 29 minutes, uh, you will miss the last hour of the show. Of course, fear not, because it will be part of the podcast that I mentioned earlier. Uh, but you'll not be able to listen to it live, nor uh, you will not be able to chime in as well. Uh, so give us a call in at 347-945-7428, even if you want to uh, listen to what we call the extended period or sometimes lovingly call Bars Logic after dark. And so uh, we hope you come in and join us, even if you decide not to chime in, uh, but at least to listen to us live uh, as well. So let's go ahead and bring it back to you, John, and then let's go ahead and after that, uh, let's talk a little bit about the agriculture in Illinois. Yeah, that's the thing, too, I was thinking about when you were talking earlier, is that in Illinois is the culture as it was in the majority of the rest of the nation where they were so sick and tired of 
the insiders that if you was to try to find somebody that was an insider to endorse you, would that actually be a pop against you and, you know, make it harder for you? But also, in I want to kind of go back to what Robert was saying even last week. The trust issue is such a big thing. And to me, these processes for ballot access, getting on the presidential debates, and having the media give everybody an equal opportunity when it comes to governing, I keep hearing this survival of the fittest, you know, mentality in a lot of this stuff in these talks throughout the nation on all these media channels and stuff. And I think that's very dangerous, especially when you're talking about governance. We need the truth and to be able to trust the process is honest, of virtue and integrity. And we can make informed, well-informed decisions with accurate information. And I I think Robert hit the nail on the head with that last week, and I just want to echo that again because I do agree that that is probably the most important thing. Otherwise, we just keep getting corrupt politicians, and they just lie through their teeth to get in office, or they fantasize in their mind that they truly believe the nonsense they're telling us, which was part of the problem I had with Mr. Trump, because I didn't think he believed half of what he was telling us. But then, you know, once they get in office, they just kind of tend to do what they want. And so we keep getting what we get, and we don't think we need to change anything. I'm like, come on, we definitely need trust in every process, but then we need to change the process to reflect the uh, equal access, because if the Democrats and the Republicans have a low hurdle to get on the ballot, but all third parties have these gigantic 15-story, you know, hurdles to jump through and high price um, fees to get on. That's just totally ridiculous and um, a lunacy. Back to you. Yeah, you're absolutely right, John. And you know, here's the thing. Uh, I've actually written on this uh, on on more than one occasion uh, because justifiably so and rightly so, people have said, Randy, I hear you. You know, integrity is important. It's what we all look for and stuff. But, you know, here's at the end of the day, how can I believe you're going to have any more integrity than the rest of these clowns that have been elected over these years? What's, what's, how can I believe that you're going to be any more better than any of the others? Because we've all been, you know, jilted by them all. What, what's the difference? And here is my answer. Because I am a fallible human being just as much as the next person. Our founding fathers created a constitution whereby in the middle of it, as a very, very integral part of it, there's one word that is so crucial to understand in the process of our politics. That one word is competition. In our constitution, in our national constitution, the founding fathers created competition between three separate branches of government. And it wasn't supposed to be they're working together. It was supposed to be that they are a check and balance against the other. 
They looked at all these governments over the years, and they realized, our founding fathers realized that if we are going to have a constitution, that somehow uh, at the end of the day there's some form of expecta- expectation that these people are going to be right. Well, we've got to figure out how to check and balance them because our founding fathers knew that human beings are corruptible. And the only way that we can make sure that they stay incorruptible is to have a check and a balance against them. So if they start turning corrupt, we have a method to correct that. Well, the problem we have in this country is that we have a two-party duopoly that circumvents that competition. How do they do that? Well, we hear now, you know, about a – We've had seen a Republican majority, and that that Republican majority rules the legislature, rules the Justice Department, and rules the executive department. So they can work together to create this, quote, unquote, evil. We, We see it in the Democrat Party. How did they get Obamacare? The three branches of government work together. Take, for instance, John Roberts, who was elected as a quote-unquote conservative justice appointed by Bush. He had the opportunity to vote against it and did not. So what we see is we see that these departments work together. And we kind of mentioned that earlier before, how – you know, mm-hmm. if they start working, we know there's a problem. So how do we fix that? Well, we need competition. We need competition in the political arena, just like we have competition at the supermarket shelves. If we don't like one brand, <laughs> right. we can go to another. We can select another. Well, the only place we can't do that is in politics. And that's where, why we have the problem is we don't have the competition to fix it, to keep people from being corrupt, to keep people, you know, in, with integrity. Now, I believe that I am going to stay incorruptible. I believe in, you know, in God, my creator, and I, you know, believe as a Marine, I can stand when all others fail. But guess what? At the end of the day, I'm a corruptible human being. How am I going to stand against all when all others have fallen? And the chances are I may fall too. How do we fix that? Well, we need a multi-party system that can provide the competition that eliminates this duopoly that is empowered with the Republicans and Democrats. Commission listing about 1,800 people wanting to be president, and then this duopoly you know, there sounds to me there's plenty of players that want to play to create the competition, but how do what would you suggest that we do in order to make the rules apply equally to all players? Well, here's here's the bottom line, John. Until we get people of principle elected that can start making some of these changes, we're stuck. And we've got to do that's why, you know, We've got to get people inspired to get behind a candidate and not just simply vote for them, but to support them and get them elected. Because as long as the two-party duopoly is in power, 
They are going to eliminate the competition. Like I said earlier, the Republican Party doesn't like competition. They spent nearly a quarter of a million dollars to keep me off the ballot. So as long as they have the power and the dollars, they're going to get by with it until we get people elected that can stand against that. And it's, in my opinion, the only way that's going to happen is if we get them elected through a alternate party that can constantly and consistently provide a stream of candidates that can continuously keep this competition going. So hopefully I can I can inspire a lot of people to rise to the occasion and, uh, you know, not just simply make an impact. I'm not here to simply uh, raise my hand and wave, uh, wave my arms about the issues and all that. I'm here to make an impact on my state and my country because if we don't, my children and my grandchildren are screwed, and I'm doing everything I can. So uh, – like I said, if you if you believe in the things that I'm saying or you have somebody else, we've got to make this happen. We're on our last legs, folks, of, you know, maintaining any relative semblance of the freedom that w- our, our country once uh, enjoyed. And uh, I'll be doggone if, I do, if we don't totally lose it without a fight. I'm here to fight, and I need your help. Well, and as I said earlier, you know, with, with, with Noteworthy, I think that, you know, bringing up certain, uh, you know, issues to keep yourself, uh, you know, in the news other than running for governor. And perhaps here's another Noteworthy thing. Uh, have you ever considered, you know, we got some topics, and I, def- I also want to talk about, uh, you know, the Obama speech, if anyone's seen it. Uh, I was hoping they have time to, to look at that, but that was just last night. I haven't had the chance to uh, to go over, you know, make any commentary on it. Uh but if you had any thoughts, or uh, I'm, I'm not as sure about how they do it in Illinois about uh, choosing a lieutenant governor. Yeah, the lieutenant governor is uh, the he runs separately, and so uh, but in the in the primaries now, just like the presidents, you know that sort of thing. Uh, but it's one vote for the governor, lieutenant governor at that point in time. So. Um, when I ran for the U.S. Uh, when I ran for governor in 2006, I had a gubernatorial write-in candidate running with me, so that they couldn't say, "Well, too bad, uh, you didn't have a lieutenant governor running with you, so you can't be elected." Blah blah blah. blah. Well, uh, so that it, it is one vote for the governor and lieutenant governor here in Illinois. So it's a single vote per vote, or is it a single for each? No, it's a single one vote for the team, the lieutenant governor, governor team. It's kind of like kind of like voting for president. You're voting for the vice president too. Yes, exactly, exactly. And you're so you so you would choose who your lieutenant governor would be. Yeah, and uh, I you know I'll tell you again. Like I said, so many things are happening right now that have never happened before. I've got a guy that's already contacted me, interested in running for Secretary of State. I've got another guy interested in running with me as Lieutenant Governor. So there's a lot of excitement out there. You know, a lot of people are, they're fed up. And like I said, there's a lot of good things that are happening right now. Well, yeah, definitely be exciting to see. There's plenty of uh, 
time, but a lot, uh, a lot to be done in uh, that time. Now, I know a lot of people like, here's another thing is, you know, I, I'm kind of having the feeling of it. And, and to be honest, I'm kind of surprised you got his, you know, kind of the, the coverage and the excitement because I think people are, are really election weary right now. I mean, they just want to see what's going to happen with this next administration without having to think about the, uh, the next election. Are you kind of get that feeling too? Well, actually, um, one of the reasons why I uh, announced my race on December the 15th is it's kind of like, you know, if anybody has ever run a, a significantly long-distance race and that sort of thing, um, you know, sometimes you experience almost a, I can't stop running. I can't stop running. The adrenaline is still going, and I can't stop. And, you know, it actually, you, you got to go through a cool-down process and all of that. And, yeah, I know that some of the, uh, you know, some people are just absolutely tired. At the same time, though, there's still a heightened awareness of, poli- uh, of politics. And uh, while, you know, people were thankful that, you know, that whole garbage of, run- you know, the campaigning was over, there's still a heightened uh interest in politics right now and of course you know some of uh what's going on with trump is keeping that interest high the the uh, media is keeping the interest high you know they're wanting to continue to make more money off of the issue and that sort of thing so you know uh so there's still and that's why i did it i knew there would still be adrenaline for the politics now it's going to die down you know a little bit in the summer but you know the uh, democrats and republicans Ronner just threw fifty million dollars or more into his right. campaign. Uh, there's a uh, billionaire, that. yeah, and there's there's a billionaire that is uh, you know been uh, rattling his chains about running. There's an alderman that's so the Democrats, right? Yep, on the Democrat side, and there's already a Democratic uh, alderman who uh, has thrown his hat in the ring and made that a public, not you know, so. Um, it, it you know there's there's certainly some weariness, but there's certainly a lot of people that are still there's some hard, hard, high charged uh, atmosphere that's still going on because of you know a little bit of what's going on in the national and that's why I, uh, I I announced early because I knew there would still be that element of being charged up. Well, it seems like you know it did get you you know you know exposure, uh, so that that's all, of course that's always good, especially if it's. Not negative, <laughs> but anyway, uh, and, I, and I do want to get to the topics, but you know, we we, we are looking to uh, do other topics as well for uh, the shows. You know, 2017 is that uh, you know now now last night, and anyone would like to chime in, and, and I do see some folks in the line. Uh, if you're ready to chime in, just push the one on your number dial, and uh, we'll get you into the show. Uh, but anyway. And so, did, did anyone hear uh, on the line now? Did anyone hear uh, Obama's farewell speech? I mean, as I said, I didn't get the opportunity. Uh, I was actually going to uh, look at it prior to the show and, and, and be able to make my own commentary on it. Uh, but uh, parental duty called, and I actually had to go and, and, and help my daughter with some algebra homework. <laughs> so I didn't get the uh, didn't get the opportunity to. Uh, uh, to look at that, and uh, I mean, and by the time I found out about it, got in from work last night, it was too late. If I may, so, to me, I've, I've watched um, it. 
if I may say so, that was absolutely appropriate priorities. Oh, I appreciate that, Randy. <laughs> yeah, I appreciate it. Um, yeah, so that just so that uh, got some. To be honest, got some of my show show prep. I had to had to end up not doing uh, from that. Uh, but let's go. I mean, did you watch? Did you watch that last night, or did anyone on the, on the line here watch uh, his farewell speech? I haven't seen it, and I figured I'd catch it online here after a bit. Yeah, that's what I figured. So, but, but perhaps we'll uh, mention next week, uh, and then hopefully uh, if we can get the guest I'm working on for uh, next week, we'll see. Uh, this is a, a gentleman I've been, I'd really would love to get on the show. I've been trying to get him on the show for a while. Uh, I've got one of my, um, my friends out there uh, working on it, talking to his gatekeeper, trying to get uh, Pat Buchanan, finally get Pat Buchanan on the show. So uh, we're working on that for hopefully the, the next coming up weeks, perhaps even next week. Depends. I'm still waiting on a call. He's, he uh, he's not a, he's not a, an easy guy to get a hold of, as you can imagine. Um, but anyway, uh, so let's go ahead and uh, and bring it back to uh, to the issues. You know that you know because of course all the shows are podcasts, and you may be may be able to use. Uh, portions of the show uh, for your campaign, and I'm, I'm, I have no problem with that. Uh, just using audio clips, uh, kind of like something what we did last week with um, our guest who, who wants to get on the uh, one of Trump's uh, environmental panels. Uh, but anyway, so let's. Uh, one of the things that was said, I mean, when you, when you think about Illinois, uh, Illinois, whatever way you pronounce it, uh, you really don't think about agriculture. Uh, but I do see that on on one of your lists on your website. Uh, for people to make comment on and, and get to flesh out. So tell me uh, more about, you know, what you would do for agriculture in Illinois. And as I said, I mean, even me saying it just just sounds weird here about agriculture in Illinois. Go ahead. Well, it's, it's almost kind of bizarre that you say it's kind of bizarre because we're in the part of the Corn Belt. I mean, the flatland of Illinois, we have some of the richest soil in the world in here, here in Illinois. And so, uh, yeah, we've got, a, we've got a lot of farmlands now. It's not quite as flat as uh, uh, Kansas been through there. That's pretty desolate in terms of flatness. But, uh, uh, you know, part of the problem here in Illinois, again, uh, revolves around the almighty dollar. And part of what happens here is the – is anywhere – the uh, part of the problem is the fact that they've got such high fees and regulations here in Illinois. Uh, when I ran for governor back in 2006, I'll never forget reading. It was a two right in the middle of the newspaper, a two-page article that uh, was focused on a lot of the Illinois farmers that were going to Brazil to farm because they could not afford to farm here in Illinois. You know, part of the problem, we got farmers that, you know, they're, they're forced into accepting, uh, the word just went right out of my mind, um, subsidies. Right. And the, they despise having to rely on subsidies. It, it's an atrocious thing to them. It's a, you know, and 
Part of it is sometimes they actually get paid not to farm. To not grow. To, and and right. that sort of thing. So there, there's a lot of issues that are going on, but the big thing is Price that the fees and uh, that uh, make it difficult for farmers to actually be able to make money farming. And that they have to be subsidized. And part of that, part of that is something that, you know, on the it revolves around the national issue of NAFTA. You know, uh, that that NAFTA in fact it was just in that same year that there were countries that were complaining and justifiably so, they were complaining about our farmers being subsidized and they couldn't compete with our farmers. But here's the thing. Our farmers can't compete on the national international market if they're not subsidized because of the horrendous levels of regulation and the fees and the taxes that are charged. And so, you know, there's it's a multifaceted problem that we face, you know, reducing the fees and uh, so that the farmers can actually start making money uh, at a you know business that they love to do, and so uh, part of that just really revol- and of course you know one of the reasons why Illinois has such high fees is because they're not able to pay their bills, and so you know it's a just a vicious vicious cycle. Wow, I did not. I mean, I'll be honest, I'm totally flabbergasted that, that you know Illinois has that type of problem. Yeah, yeah, and it, it just, you know, and I said back then, if we don't start doing our job to fix this situation, State Farm is not just going to be an insurance. It's going to be the way <laughs> things are done. Yeah, because the government's going to own it. And, and uh, one thing no, no, I want to no. is um, just for people's interest and in, in knowledge, I do apologize about one thing about uh, the issues that I have on my website. A lot of them are national issues, uh, you know, because I did run for um, the U.S. Senate, and, you know, I kind of initially cut my teeth on the national issues, but uh, I will be uh, updating them to reflect more and more about the actual state issues because I – am running for a state office, and so just want to kind of apologize to people. Those are the issues that have been on my website uh, for years that, you know, I, I'm proud of the fact that, you know, for the most part, my issues I've never waffled on. I've always been pro-life. I've always been pro-Second Amendment, uh, you know, and all those kind of things, but um, in the upcoming weeks, uh, if people kind of are watching, I will be changing you know, some of them, not changing the national issues, but I will be focusing more of my issues on the state issues uh, as uh, time goes along. Yeah, well, definitely, you know, I won't be able to cover all those, of course. Uh, but as I said, there are some that stand out, you know, because I'm just, it's kind of interesting to see them because a lot of folks still talk about uh, some of these topics. And the next one I want in mind touching on uh, is gambling. I mean, yeah, I'm sure they've got casinos and things of that nature uh, there, but where's gambling come in? Four well, minutes till the top of the hour, Rob. Yes, yeah, it is the top of the hour. Thanks for that programming note. 
Uh, so, folks, yeah. if you'd like to chime in, give us a call at 347-945-7428. Or if you just like to listen to the extended period, which sometimes we lovingly call Bart's Logic After Dark, give us a call. Uh, and if you are on the line and you'd like to chime in, just push the one on your number dial. Or if you're just there to listen, that's fine, too. Uh, but if you cannot make it, of course, you're welcome to uh, come back and listen to the podcast, whether you come back here on uh, Blog Talk Radio or you go to iTunes where you can download it to your mobile device for free and then uh, listen to it and uh, share it at your leisure. Uh, and, again, you've only got about three minutes, three and a half minutes to call. So 347-945-7428, or unfortunately, your audio uh, will uh, go bye-bye. And so we'll uh, hopefully we can uh, see you guys uh, call in, but if not, just uh, feel free to uh, share the link for tonight uh, so we can, you know, hear from our outsiders, patriotic uh, candidates here. I know, uh, as I said earlier, I mean, at least I've seen, that's why I mentioned earlier, uh, you know, a lot of people I've talked to are so campaign weary, <laughs> I guess you could say, uh, that, you know, they they're just want to see what happens now and kind of sit back and just, and I hate to say a watch, but, you know, as you pointed out, you know, still need to be participatory. Uh, but let's go ahead and bring it back. And then thanks, uh, John, for reminding me about that program note uh, about the top of the hour. Uh, I appreciate it. And so, the, yeah, the other topic there, and we're probably going to move into that topic while uh, we transition into the uh, extended period. Uh, but, you know, tell us more about, you know, your stance with, with gambling there in Illinois. Yeah, well, and why you know, is that an I, issue? Yeah, well, as I pointed out uh, earlier, you know, the fact is we have uh, the lottery system in Illinois, and it's a part of our Constitution as ratified in 1970. And, you know, it was supposed to subsidize education. And, you know, it's just absolutely beyond, in my opinion, it's beyond mind-boggling the fact that we've had this billion-dollar billions of dollar operation uh, since 1970 and we have one of the worst educational systems in the country. So, you know, well, yeah, if, it's a lottery. If, okay. Yeah. Well, it begs the question, if, if lottery is so good and it's supposed to do this, why is not education better? And so, you know, it, it really, I think the answer is, is because, it's, there's a corruption behind it that the money's not going to where it's supposed to be going, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But here's the thing. I, you know, gambling, yeah, my, my grandmother was so against gambling, you did not bring a deck of cards into her house. You would be shillelied within wow. an inch of your life, you know. Um, but here's the thing. You know, if you want to gamble, that's fine. That's your business. But here's the thing about state gambling. The only way, and it's and the way, reason we have that state gambling, state sponsored gambling, is because the state is making money off of the gambling. Now, the only way the state makes money in the gambling industry is they do so off the backs of its people. It is a tax on the poor people because they're the ones who demographically are the ones going to the gas stations. Oh, I got to have a scratcher here and, 
you know, scratch, spend a dollar here, spend five dollars here. I've spent, I've been in line watching people that virtually come in in, in rags and want fifty dollars in tickets, and the chances of them winning anything? Oh my gosh! So the the point is, I'm not quote unquote against gambling. If you want to gamble and all that, that's fine. But state sponsored gambling really is the issue here because it is a tax on people that don't understand math. They don't understand that their chances of winning are so minuscule that they lose far more money than they gain. And then the money that they lose goes into a corrupt system that's not taking care of the things that it was designed to take care of. So it's a very, very corrupt system. Corrupt people are in control of it. Corrupt people are taking advantage and making money out of it. And so I am absolutely opposed to state-sponsored gambling because of it. But that's okay. So just to, you know, reiterate, that's, that doesn't count any of the, uh, uh, that doesn't count any of the, like, you know, the private casinos, things of that nature. Again, you know, there's, there's the huge part of, uh, of the gambling that is, you know, when you start looking at the systems, the corrupt systems and all of that, um, and of course states think that it's such a great thing that, uh, you know, they're making a lot of tax dollars out of it. But, again, um, I'm just – I'm not for it. Now, the you know, the private gambling and stuff like that, uh, you know, certainly there has to be absolute uh, oversight. I think there's problems on oversight with that um, because of the, the levels of corruption that surround it. Uh, but I'm not as opposed to that level of – gambling and stuff, uh, but again, um, you know, it, it really, any time that citizens are taken advantage of, I'm opposed to it, and in these particular cases, you know, it's really where the citizens of this state, their, their money, the only way me- casinos make money is that the citizens lose their money, and, you know, when you look at it in the True. environment of what we can do with the dollars, much better then yeah, but again, I'm. I don't have the level of disdain. I, I mean, I would never frequent them. I do not waste my money. I do not make somebody else rich on a gamble. Yeah, I'm not big on the casino stuff either. But Randy, is yes. this is this casino issue in uh, Illinois a big enough issue that would merit maybe? I don't know, possibly filing a FOIA, you know, Freedom of Information request to the comptroller of the state to find out where the money is just to validate, you know, where the money is going to see if there's integrity to the actual act that established it or or is it just a sideline thing people talk about and it's not really that big of an issue? Well, I think, you know, that it would – that's a, you know I like your idea and I might uh, 
you know, do a little bit more investigating on that. I don't think that's, uh, you know, in terms of uh, the the big issues here in Illinois, I mean, we've got a multi-billion dollar deficit uh, with uh, the pensions uh, requiring over a quarter of the, uh, I think in the big scheme of things, that's not an overly uh, important issue for most people. But uh, if I got some time, I'm, I, I think that's a good idea is to just take a look at it at least. I mean, who knows? Well, it seems to be the, a particular strategy with some people, too, because if you notice there's an issue that most of the people in your state are very interested in, some people just file the FOIA request because most of them get ignored, and then you go to the media and say, hey, here's our big issue that we have here we're complaining about and stuff. We can't even get information on it to validate whether it's right or wrong. So if any of you out there have any information or you know how to get in touch, you know, with the true information, get in touch with me or, or help us figure out, see what I mean, just helps promote you, helps get you more exposure because they're going, oh, man, we'll, we'll do a story on this. Right. I really haven't heard anything big on ter- in terms of the issue of uh, gambling here in the state. My my big thing with the gambling is really the uh, – the lottery here that's supposed to be subsidizing education and our education here in Illinois is severely substandard. And so I think there in lies a, a real big thing that would be of a, a major concern to most people, but still that that's a, uh, you know, thank you for putting that kind of uh, idea on my radar. Well, I just see so many of the congressmen and senators doing it. I mean, it, like I seen Marco Rubio today coming out of the um, confirmation on Tillerson, and he has this little media blitz out in the hall there, and he's talking about stuff. And, and he's a crazy person. But the first thing that pops in my head is this guy's an anchor baby. He's illegally in the country. There is no way I can't understand how he's even in office. His parents, I mean, his parents were illegal whenever he was born. And then a number of years later, his parents got, you know, their immigration status to be a legalized citizen, but they never did do that for Marco Rubio. And and it just dawned on me, you know, this guy is pretty savvy. He knows how to turn a twist a story for media attention, you know, better than most congressmen. And it, you see them doing these tricks on so many different issues, and they don't even care what the issue is most of the time. They're just looking for an opportunity to get FaceTime with the media. So, that, I mean, if if they knew that there was enough uproar under underwater basket weaving, then they would file a FOIA request on something about what's going on with the state's underwater basket weaving so they could get media <laughs> attention. I mean, it's just a trick. Oh, yeah, you're absolutely right. And, and John, that's the thing, you know, for all third-party and independent candidates to keep in mind. You know, the Bible says that we need to be as, you know, wise as a serpent and gentle as a dove. And I think most people, you know, miss the connotation in there that we need to be, you know, to understand these tactics and take advantage of them and bring, you know, really utilize that to uh, do what we need to do to bring attention to what we're doing. If we don't, then, you know, I here's I'm a Marine. I understand 
tactics. I understand the importance of strategy. And if we don't develop the strategy to win, we're wasting our time. And, you know, I, I just I have no time to waste time, you know, if that makes sense. And so we've got to do those things that are strategically important that bring, you know, the media and that sort of stuff. So you're at, you, you are dead on and absolutely right, John. Well, I mean, if you go back and look at just the last two years, look, watch the art of the deal maker. Mr. Trump gave us a symposium on this stuff. He is, I mean, as much as I dislike him, I thought he was a stank old salesman, and I was in support of (laughs) Daryl Castle. I still threw my vote to Mr. Trump because, like um, Mr. the host of this show, Robert, explained, you know, I'm glad that we got enough votes to keep Hillary out because otherwise, if most of us would have that wanted to vote for Mr. Castle would have voted for Mr. Castle, we would have Miss Hillary Clinton right now as president. But anyway. Go back and look at all of the, the stuff in the last two years and watch the different candidates. And Trump he gave us a symposium on this stuff. He, the guy is, is, I mean, evilly cunning, in my opinion. <laughs> I can't say that I disagree with you. And, and you kind of, you didn't, you know, I guess it could have been a, a segue, but I'll use it that way uh, to the next uh, issue. Uh, that I want to bring up, and it, we we do hear a little bit about it. Then uh, maybe this is one of your national issues, but I think it, you know it could be used for state as well, uh, and perhaps this is tied to, to voting. But the, the national ID. Yeah. First totally, of all, for, uh, for the folks who don't really know what that is, tell us what a what a national ID is. On this issue for a long time, but you know, really, it's a national registry of every person in the country. And, you know, it's, man, talk about violating the privacy and all of that, that, uh, you know, we're already having issues with having a national ID really delves into the fact that they uh, just go so far deep into what it is to have to be a registered individual in the country. And, you know, that, that so violates, the, the tenets uh, that our founding fathers laid down, uh, it, it is so contrary to anything that uh, is constitutional. I mean, it violates pretty much uh, the Fourth and Fifth Amendments, specifically the Fourth Amendment, you know, that says we have a right to privacy and that sort of thing. So I'm not sure that I expressed it real clear, but I, that's kind of the bulk as I understand it. You're talking about the chip and pin type card system that gives GPS and they basically control your money to make sure that when you get paid it goes to a certain account and then you use your card for identification in any transactions. They started it way back in the 60s or 70s, but the latest one I've heard of was like 2009 and 10 or something, but I haven't heard much about when, it since then. They've well, now they got that chip. I mean, there's a lot of bank cards that got that chip in it now. Now, yeah, well, I'm just going to like a GPS in it, but. I hate. I hear that the passports are even more robust, where they have all kinds of information on the chip. The chips in our credit cards and stuff, those right there are basically limited to the information about our credit account. But these real ID type cards, if I understand what you're referring to, that's being, you know, 
like I recent most recently heard back in 2009, they keep all kinds of information about you and have GPS so they can actually know where you're at at the point in time, and you have to. It's in the. Well, that's uh, ridiculous. It's in the. It's in the. Uh, what is it? The the passports that you have to use to go across you know, into other countries and stuff. I understand it's in that, but I don't know. I'm hoping I'm hoping Randy can give us more information. Well, part of uh, – now, in terms of what they can do with, you know, the information, primarily the information is not contained on the, uh, the chip itself. Primarily the information, that chip gives access to where that information is located. And, uh, but, here, you know, it's, it's only getting to the point where they are able to miniaturize and get more information in, in that area. But here's the thing, and, and um, you know, where I, I really see that the potential for its use, and I understand the, um, what I want to say, the, the premise behind it. When I was in the Marine Corps, um, you know, it was uh, th- there was always a problem with people losing their dog tags, or you know, trying to figure out is this person A positive, uh, negative B, whatever his blood type is, um, what is his uh, records in terms of uh, pay records and and that sort of stuff, and you know, the the problem is that when you're trying to access that stuff, it's just difficult when you're in a, especially in a combat environment. And so, you know, they've gotten to the point where they have, you know, the, uh, the medical dog tags, where they have that information located specifically on that particular dog tag so that a uh, medical person can come and read that dog tag and know what blood type you are or to know, uh, you know, you're, oh, you had a break there or you, You've got diabetes or you've got this or that, so they know how to administer. And, and I see the specific justification for that. I, under, I understand, but I'm telling you, it scares me to death to know what all of that information is going to be contained. And, you know, for some people, I'm, I'm trying to avoid getting too deep into this, but for some people, there's a religious aspect to this that, um, right. The mark of the beast. Because, yeah, it, it you know we're going into a cashless society. You know the Bible speaks about when uh, you know cash will no longer be able to be used, and so there is the absolute controlling factors that are involved with this. And there's some, like I said, there's some justifiable reasons why they're moving in that direction. Um, and, you know, like specifically in combat, you know, they even those medical dog tags that hang around your neck, they get lost. They get broken or whatever. Well, you know, how can we resolve that? Well, we can implant it in your, you know, your forearm or whatever. And now the only way you're going to lose that is if you lose your arm or lose your, you know, and chances are there's your arm laying next to you or whatever. So, uh I, I'm, I'm really strongly opposed to a nationalized identification process, um, specifically because of my 
religious beliefs, but I understand what's driving it and what's pushing it, especially in this environment. Yeah, I mean, I don't really like it. I mean, I had uh, one time where they had uh, my bank sent me one of those cards that had the chip in it, and then they just they just didn't even tell me and just canceled my regular bank card. And I couldn't even use it until I, you know, you get access my, you know, like an ATM or something like that until uh, I activated that card, which was kind of freaky for me, to be honest. You know, like, well, oh, wait I a minute, I can't even access my money until I activate this card. Oh, yeah. Well, I don't have a problem specifically with a chipped card. I don't have a problem with that at all. But the problem I have with a chipped card is the fact that it's just the next step in the process. In what process? Well, the next step of, you know, we're going to start chipping human beings. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, when they started that with, like, dogs and stuff like that, like putting uh, chips inside, you know, animals. Absolutely. But the control and manipulation is even more devastating. But it's just like Germany, when they wanted to go around and start telling people what books they could and could not read, and they had little Gestapo foot soldiers going door to door looking at their house libraries to make sure that the books they read weren't on their shelves. Well, with the chip-type system that you're referring to, they can just look up the database. Because remember, they have the Utah data uh, bank system, and they're collecting all of our transaction data. And even the, um, what is it, the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, they're, connect, they're connected to all the credit card companies, knowing what all your transactions are. So if the people that get into power do not have any obligation to make sure that you get to decide what burdens and encumbers you, then they get to burden and encumber you against your will, take your tax dollars, whether you like it or not, and force you to do their will that they write in law. And so, therefore, if they think that you, they don't like the fact that you bought 14 watermelons last month, then they can, you know, stop you. Or if they felt you took out too much money, or spent too much money that month, they can put a freeze on your account without you having even a say in it. Yep. And they already do that, too. Really? Oh, yeah. How how, how do they do that? I'm sure you probably realize that right now you can only take so much money out of the bank before you have to register – yeah, you have you have to register. You there's certain dollar amounts that you can only That's take true. out, and, and you cannot go and take out. Let's just say, for instance, you wanted to pay cash for a house. You can't just take a hundred thousand dollars out of the. And that's a cheap house. A uh, hundred thousand dollars out of the bank <laughs> yeah. and pay cash for a house without it being registered and, and going through the the, the process and, and all of that. You, it's just you can't do it nowadays. Right, that's true. So it's already it, happened. And you don't have any recourse for redress of grievance if you disagree. Because exactly. we've already been psychologically buffaloed into thinking that once we vote, they get to do whatever they want. They don't have to give us, you know, the right to decide what 
encumbers us and burdens us. We are legislative slaves. They get to write the laws and push them down our throat without our directive, without our consent, because we voted. See, that's the psychological scam, because they're supposed yep. to get the, the people buy-in so we all can unite it. The United States row this boat together in unity, but it's it's a psychological um, divide and conquer routine. So the people in positions of power get all the control, and they decide what's right and wrong for you. And that's what people have to understand is so evil about this voting for the lesser of two evils, because it perpetuates that system. Well, yeah, that's you know, yeah, that's true. Um, you know, we've been talking about it. Gosh, you know, you've probably been talking about it longer than I have, Randy. Uh, but you know, talked about that for for years. Indeed. Now, one of the ones, and uh, since we only got about thirty minutes before you start taking closing uh, comments, uh, and so let's go ahead and get get through these uh, a, a couple more of these issues. Uh, and then now this one, and as I said, uh, it's a good thing we're in, I guess, Bard's Logic After Dark at this point for this. And, and I don't know if I've ever seen this, and if I have, it's n- not much, is uh, p- part of the issues is pornography. Uh, tell us about uh, how that made uh, to your issues list. Well, here's the thing. Pornography uh, was, and this just drives me nuts how it's a First Amendment right, the freedom. And what does the First Amendment say? You know, the freedom of speech. It didn't say the freedom of expression. But yet somehow free speech has become a free expression thing. And so how did Larry Flint win the First Amendment right to have his, you know, things to be, you know, the pornography and stuff? It it was done under the First Amendment, under the freedom of expression well you know i don't the the first amendment says nothing about the freedom of expression it talks about the freedom of speech and you know the thing is that's the first part of the issue secondly uh i believe that pornography demeans uh both men and women you know i don't see how the uh feminists have ever allowed pornography to prevail because of how it portrays women, you know, and, and so I, I, it's just an absolute demeaning industry that kind of like with the whole gambling thing, there is so much corruption involved in it, behind it, and, and all of that, that, you know, it's an industry that's made multi-billion dollars of you know, and at the expense of our women, and now you know it's it's moved into you know men and, and that sort of stuff. And so I just do not see the value of pornography and the the pervasive uh, uh, pushing for it. And so I just I'm against things that demean our men and women, demean our humanity and demean our, well, and and provide such a source, an ugly source of corruption. So that's why it's just on my, you know, it's not one of my big top, you know, issues 
But I just believe morally we have a responsibility to protect our men and women. And, and, and how that even moves into child pornography and all of that, you know, uh, just uh, the, 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 it's, there's just so much corruption within that, uh, that industry that I am absolutely against it. I think there's, there's no real uh, human benefit for it. And um, so it, it's just one of those things that, you know, as people have talked to me about it, I, it just was one of those things that I believe that I needed to express. It's just not, you know, like I say, one of my top issues. It is what it is, but I think uh, we need to focus people's attention about, about, you know, what it means to be a moral people. And would that be something you would be looking, you know, because it's on a camp, your campaign page, uh, is, is that something you'd be looking to uh, attempting to outlaw or have legislation passed uh, outlawing it? Well, I think it certainly needs to have something taken a look at. Um, you know, at, at this point in time, it, it's it's almost a moot point these days with how the Internet, you know, is. I mean, you would have to go out and curb every Internet site and, you know, the task force. It would almost be like the war on drugs. It just would be too impossible to really – uh, put a big handle on. So uh, not a major focus at this point in time. I mean, you know, the, the real thing that would change the, the environment and that sort of stuff uh, really is to see a, ch- a change in the heart and minds of people because at the end of the day, it's people that's driving that. They're, you know, it, it, would, it would dry up tomorrow if people stopped spending their money on it. And so – you know, it's just the fact that uh, it's just something that, you know, personally, morally, I'm I'm opposed to. But I just don't, at this point in time, see that it's going to be able to really be taken a focus on in terms of how can we really crack it down. You know what I mean? Spending, spending political capital on it, so to speak. Yeah. I mean, in, in the I, last time. Well, I... I hate the fact that you use that word, but you're, it, it, it's a very valid and accurate word, you know. Uh, it's just not something that's going to be able to be taken a look at until we take care of some other things first. And to the next topic, and I think this is um, perhaps the one maybe more, most important to the position uh, that you are running for, uh, and that is state sovereignty. And what would you do as governor of Illinois to ensure uh, state sovereignty? Well, so, some of the things, and I've written about this. In fact, I wrote specifically about this in 19, or 19, yeah, uh, in 2007. Uh, it's actually on my website, Constitutionally Correct. Uh, it's a booklet called State Sovereignty. Um, and what made me write about it is that, uh, in, in 1970, you'll uh, – 19, gosh, why did I keep saying that? In 2007, that was the time we moved into the bailouts and all of those things that were happening. And remember, that happened under Bush, you know, before Obama even got in there. But um, here's the thing. How many of you remember that one of the 
uh, presidential candidates was Rick Perry, the governor of uh, Texas. And Rick Perry, mm-hmm. uh, at that point in time, said, you know, he initially came out, we are not taking that unconstitutional bailout. We're not taking it. Well, guess what? He took it. Somewhat justifiably so. Our federal government is taxing our citizens, contrary to the initial uh, principles of the Constitution. Now, it was the 16th Amendment that was uh, ratified in uh, uh, 1913 that allowed for the government to start directly taxing its citizens. Prior to that, there was no income tax. And so um, what happened is, ever since then, our federal government has been directly taxing the people. And so you have to understand the, the process there. And so as long as the federal government is directly taxing the people, the federal government can then hold those that money over the heads of the states. In other words, uh, hey, uh, you want to build that road? Well, uh, we've got a million dollars right here for you to build that road, but uh, guess what? You're going to have to X, Y, Z, whatever that is. There's always a string attached to the federal dollar. And as long as that's true, States will never truly be sovereign. We could in 2007, and why I started writing, I mentioned I think it was Montana. That uh, now here's one law that they they actually wrote that I absolutely concur with. They said if a weapon is made here in Montana, I'm pretty sure that was the state. Um, that as long as it's sold. To a person in Montana, the federal government has absolutely nothing to say about it. How does the federal government has anything to say about any of this stuff? Well, it's the Commerce Clause. If it's interstate mm-hmm. commerce, right. the, the federal so. government has a quote unquote right to have a say so in the in the commerce. But if it's not interstate, if it's only contained within the state then a state has the right to recognize that it has the power to say, no federal government, you have absolutely nothing to say about this. It's not interstate commerce. Well, that's all well and good, except for the fact that the government will come back, well, oh, really? You think that's true, huh? So uh, you thought you were getting the this $5 million for that uh, project that you were wanting. Well, guess what? No, not so much. You're going to have to buckle under and conform to what we're saying or you're not getting the money. So how does a state become sovereign? Well, it, this is a, a somewhat a national issue because a state will never be sovereign as long as the federal government has the power to dangle the almighty dollars in front of them. Or unless that state government says, and this is the only way that Rick Perry could have had any legitimacy in what he was saying, is, okay, federal government, 
I'm not taking your bailout. But, uh, oh, by the way, my citizens are no longer going to be paying this, what I consider unconstitutional, but uh, the unconstitutional premise that was eradicated by the 16th Amendment, if I'm making sense here. Uh, the only way it'd be value, uh, of any value is to say, okay, federal government, you're not, we're not taking the bailout, but guess what? You're no longer taxing my citizens. Now, can a governor do that? No, it's not possible, not without the state legislature. And I'm telling you, if we wanted to change that, the way to change that is to repeal the 17th Amendment, which changed the uh, senators from being elected and appointed by the state legislatures to being appointed by the people. Once the state, mm-hmm. once our federal senators were then elected or appointed by the people instead of the federal government, instead of the people, of, or let me clarify, I was get, getting two thoughts in my mind at the same time. As long as the people are electing these two representatives to the federal government, known as senators, the states no longer. The states used to be a check and balance against a, a, a government doing the wrong thing. See, in this particular mm-hmm. case, corruption actually worked in our favor. What's at the basis of corruption? Money. When, when our two senators were elected and appointed by our state legislatures, if the government was taking money that they were not authorized to take, well, guess what the senators would do? The states was like, hey, you're going to the Senate, and you're going to kibosh that because we want the money in our state. And so, actually, in that particular case, corruption works in our favor because it keeps the money here in our state instead of going to the federal government. That was People just don't understand how brilliant it was that our founding fathers created this particular check and balance that was the state legislatures appointing these senators instead of the people. And bear in mind, it was the state legislature, the state senators elected to the federal government that was the higher office of our federal government. They were in the Senate. The lower was the lower house was the elected by the people, our congressmen. But now right. the people elect both. And they're a bunch of boneheads in the they have no clue as to what's going on. They keep electing the same old corrupt individuals. People just have no idea how bad that is. So uh, until we get people educated to that process, sure, there's a few things we can do. But as long as we accept the government dole, we will never truly be sovereign. Now, there's certainly some things we can start pushing towards. But until we eradicate some of those uh, uh, things that are preventing that, we're stuck. And who knows if that's ever th- anything that's going to be lifted. Well, 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 I do see there's only about 25 uh, minutes uh, left in the show, believe it, believe it or not. Uh, and so and I usually dedicate the last five minutes for me to close things out. And then five minutes before that, maybe a little less uh, for closing comments. So that really only gives us about 15 minutes uh, for the remainder of the, the main content of the show. And, and what I'd like to do is play this audio clip to get your reaction uh, because I haven't uh, think I've heard uh, from yours yet. Now, 
this is something that was, uh, and I've played this before on the show, and I think something like this is very important in, in moving forward, you know, and bringing it back nationally, though, is I think that, you know, you know with, with Trump saying, you know, it's pretty much his campaign and winning on the campaign of, of making America great again. Of course, that's going to, you know, be with the states as well as the national government. Uh, but I think uh, th- th- this topic that, you know, I, I bring up uh, many times uh, is going to bring us towards that. Now, one of the things I want to do is I want you to listen uh, to this audio, uh, and this was from the actually the uh, convention, the Republican convention, uh, one of the speakers there. And I want to see, is there anything that the states uh, or maybe you know, a, governor can do, a governor can do and help in achieving this goal. So let's go ahead and listen uh, to the audio, and then let's get your comments, and then we'll have to close things out. To command a space shuttle mission. Good evening. It's great to be here with you tonight. Thank you. From the moment the first pilgrims arrived on our shores, Americans have been asking, what's next? We are a nation built by the passion of people who weren't afraid to do something first, to step into the unknown and to pave our own way forward. We are a nation of explorers. In 1961, President Kennedy issued a challenge to America to land a man on the moon and return him safely to Earth. And 47 years ago, on this very day, Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin answered that call and they walked on the moon. They took with them an American flag and a plaque bearing the inscription, Here, men from planet Earth first set foot upon the moon, July 1969. We came in peace for all mankind. We landed on the moon to fulfill a leadership challenge and to explore. We know that exploration leads to invention, innovation, and discovery. For example, our successful robotic missions to Mars, Jupiter, and Pluto have provided valuable information about our own planet. But in 2011, the space shuttle program ended. The last time the United States launched our own astronauts from our own soil was over five years ago. We must do better than that. Countries that are strong are countries that explore, invent, and discover to remain resilient in a changing world. I'm honored to have played a role in our nation's heritage of explorers as the first woman to command a space shuttle mission, joining the ranks of those that have fought to lead the way. Thanks. 
And we are all so proud of our Apollo program that put our astronauts on the moon first in peace for all mankind. Nations that lead on the frontier lead in the world. We need that visionary leadership again, leadership that will inspire the next generation of explorers to have that same passion. We need leadership that will ask Americans, Americans will ask again, what's next? We need leadership that will make America's space program first again. And we need leadership that will make America great again. I want to thank all of you. Thank you for what you're doing. God bless America. Please welcome some women in business for Trump. And so, you know, definitely, you know, with, uh, you know, invigorating uh, the space program, you know, is more seen as, you know, a, a national uh, program or, you know, a national program that is working in tandem uh, with, uh, you know, private industries. And there's it's a more of a push uh, for that as well. Uh, but do you see any way that uh, the states, uh, maybe even particularly uh, or specifically, I should say, uh, Illinois uh, could contribute to that uh, invigorating our, our space program? Well, you know, one of the things that you mentioned uh, was kind of a uh, a partnership. Now, certainly back in 1960, uh, you know, helping Americans to dream and that sort of stuff and accomplish things outside the box, I think, you know, was a very important part of, you know, some vitalization of our country and to, you know, with, with some of the things that were going on, uh, you know, that was able to somewhat refocus some of the, the people's attention. But I'm really excited about the private industry and the achievements that are being done. I mean, I watched the rocket that uh, Jeff Bezos' company, uh, you know, they, they did a rocket that shot up and then was able to land. And, right, mm-hmm. you know, SpaceX, I believe. What's that? I think the company SpaceX, I believe. I I think it was some. Isn't there? Isn't his company one of those that uh, have something blue, blue something or another? Oh, there's um, uh, there is. Uh, you're right. Maybe it's blue. Um, oh, I I can't. You're yeah. right. Blue someone I can't remember what it what it's called. But yeah, I I I seen that because there was a. Uh, uh, on the uh, National Geographic, there was a uh, a mini series called Mars about going to Mars, and that's one of the things they were talking about. Is you know we would have to get a rocket that could lift off and land, you know, and yes, I, I've seen that. So you know that wasn't a government that did that; that was a private uh, corporation that did that, and um, you know I the the Constitution. Uh, in Article 1, Section 8, uh, where does it say it? 
to promote the progress of science and useful arts by securing for limited times to authors and inventors the exclusive right to their respective writings and discoveries. The Constitution federally doesn't say authorize our Congress to spend money, so to speak, to, to go to Mars. Um, but I'm not opposed to it because it, it is able, but the Constitution does say our federal government is responsible to create those kind of environments. And so I'm all for that, and I think it has great purpose, um, you know, so, but I'm, I would be more excited about pushing for private industry to accomplish that because pretty much, I, and I thinking just kind of my mind kind of doing a quick inventory kind of a thing, you know, where do we see the, the greatest, the greatest things happen, you know, is when private people, private industry, you know, does that. And I think it's incumbent, you know, we in, in Illinois have several departments of where, you know, I know there's a department uh, that focuses their attention on aging and that sort of stuff. Um, I don't think the the state itself should do that. I think we should be encouraging private industry because we always see the better involvement or the better development come out of that industry because, you know, what, what was the uh, – Oh, I'm trying to think of the old adage, you know, about how government, you know, uh, uh, really screws things up and all of that. It's when we allow private industry that things really get exemplary. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, I've definitely heard that before. Uh, And, you know, the thing that comes to mind, of course, is, you know, for me at least, is, you know, when we landed, uh, you know, landed on the moon, of course, you know, it had to be businesses and uh, things of that nature, you know, to build the rockets and, you know, manufacture, you know, the parts. And, you know, I mean, but there was, you know, a, a large part where, you know, the government had a hand on getting us, you know, to the moon. Right. Yeah, I, and I'm not opposed to it. And I certainly want to see, you know, we've, there is much to be discovered. There is much to accomplish. And, you know, if we in the state of Illinois can, you know, really start moving people to accomplish great things, well, I think part of that could be a part of what, how we take care of getting ourselves back to accomplishing what it means to actually have a budget and adhere to a budget and do those kind of things. So. I think all of that is contributory to, you know, really the overall welfare of uh, our country, our state, and our people. Well, and so with that, I see that we've only got about eight minutes uh, before uh, I have to close things out. So uh, I'll take this time, uh, opportunity to take some closing comments. Each have about, you know, three minutes or so to, to do so. And so what we'll do is we will bring it over to you, John, and then for uh, you, Randy, and then I'll uh, close things out. And for those uh, on the line, I want to thank you uh, for listening to our extended period. Uh, definitely uh, share out the show tonight uh, with uh, your friends. You can email the link, or you can also uh, download, as I said earlier, uh, on iTunes, uh, where that's a free download. 
you can even uh, download it to a CD, listen to a car, or share the link here on Blog Talk Radio uh, so that other folks can uh, access as well. And as I said earlier, uh, if you want to use any of this content, uh, you know, for, you know, your campaign, things of that nature, Randy, uh, you're welcome to do so, um, you know, on, on that. And so let's go ahead and bring it over to you, John, and then uh, you, Randy, and then I'll have to close things out for tonight. And uh, look for some uh, contacts, some uh, emails uh, for our guests next week in topics. Uh, if we do not end up having uh, Poppy Cannon on next week, uh, then we'll, we'll just uh, cover topics uh, of the day. Uh, you know, uh, current events is what we'll be covering uh, next week. And since we, who knows what's going to uh, be in the news uh, in a week, so we don't know quite what we'll be uh, discussing then. Uh, but let's go ahead and uh, bring it to you, John. Thank you. Yeah, and anything that has to do with government, it's all, to me, it's about we the people relating to each other, interacting with each other, and treating each other. Once we start allowing the people that work on our behalf as, a, you know, senators, congressmen, presidents, the bureaucracies, allow them to become institutions like banking and finance or whatnot, then they become favorites and discrimination. Just like SpaceX is owned by Elon Musk and also Tesla. I think those are awesome programs, but because they're getting favors to get that money to develop what they want, the rest of the Americans' tax dollars are going to them, to Elon Musk, but the rest of the tax payers don't get that same privilege and benefit to use a billion dollars for their pet projects. And so that's why I'm always from the standpoint that, hey, going to NASA and going to Mars and all these projects are great projects. Set up a trust account and let everybody that has the money that wants to pay for it put the money in the trust account and everybody do it. Therefore, the taxes and the cost of operating our government doesn't go up. And the people that are paying the taxes don't have to have increased tax rates. And right now we have what the labor participation rate is 62 or something percent. So we have approximately 90 some million, almost 100 million people that are out of the workforce. They're either on unemployment or some form of social welfare. And those people are being a tax drain on the system as well. So, And we have a $20 trillion year-to-year budget deficit that's beating us to death. And then we have a long-term physical gap of about $211 trillion that has to come out of us 320-some-odd million population of citizens. So therefore, we're only exacerbating the problem by allowing the people who work in our government to provide subsidies for these pet projects when they don't have anything to do but interrupt the common flow of, of private enterprise, which is banking and financing and stuff. Our government has no business in that. But we do if we do it by mutual assent with all taxpayers agreeing, then you can't disagree with that. Then you aren't fighting. But when you start allowing the people in office to play favorites and then the taxpayers that have to pay for it say, well, hey, where's my special project? Obamacare is a special program, permanent fund program for the, um, you know, pharmaceutical companies and health care insurance groups and stuff. That's a permanent 
money thing for them. Well, where's your industry's private per- personal funding mechanism that the government forces everybody to buy your industry product? See, that it's bogusly unconstitutional and against the Declaration of Independence and the founding of our country, and most of us don't realize it. But that's just my two cents. Back to you in the studio. Yeah, and on that, um, you know, in a lot of you know ways, I do like uh, direct democracy, where you know you have uh, you know a vote of the people. Now, you're never going to get 100% consent. It's, it's just impossible uh, for that to happen, uh, you know. But I, you know, I do uh, think a lot of in a lot of ways we should do things with direct democracy. But uh, the form we have for our republic is a representative uh, democracy, so we don't do a lot of um, you know, direct voting on much. Now, there are some things uh, we do uh, direct voting for, uh, but not many. Uh, but anyway, so let's go ahead. Uh, run out some time here. Uh, so let's go ahead and bring it over to you, uh, Randy. Go ahead for your closing thoughts for the night. Well, first of all, Robert, thank you for uh, having me here. Thank you for uh, asking great questions, and thank you for having, uh, you know, a venue where you've uh, got people here absolutely interested, asking uh, intelligent questions and and that sort of thing. So I just want to throw my appreciation out. As uh, you know, Robert, uh, for uh, a couple of years, I was actually doing my own blog talk radio, and uh, I'm Mm -hmm. actually uh, seriously considering uh, getting it rolling out again, especially, you know, in terms of, getting out there so that people can give people a venue to ask me questions, get to know who I am and, you know, that sort of thing. But, you know, I got to tell you, one of the things that I have discovered over the years is, you know, I've done quite a little bit of talking here on the, on the show, but I really am going to focus my attention on hearing what people have to say. What are their primary issues of concern how what are their what are their viewpoints as to far as how do they think it can be fixed and because I got to tell you it's going to be a uh, concerted effort of everyone if we're going to make this thing work and so I've got to you know really pay special attention to what you know the people are saying because a lot of people have a lot of great ideas that you know I don't even have a clue about and so you know to really hear that out just like. You know, John had mentioned uh, something earlier in the show about uh, doing a FOIA to check on, you know, what these casinos really are doing, where the money's going, that sort of thing, about what the Secretary of State, you know, what where, or the Treasurer. We've got a comptroller and a Treasurer as well as a Secretary of State. So, you know, um, it, it's been a, a joy to be here. I know we've got on some, you know, some interesting topics that I love you know, being able to talk about. But uh, at the end of the day, my mission is to inspire everyone within earshout to inspire them to get involved with the process. As John uh, illustrated earlier, we the people, this is our government. People want to say, oh, well, that senator did or that congressman did or that represent blah 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 blah. guess what at the end of the day it's our fault we elected them 
we got nobody mm-hmm. to blame but ourselves. And if you want to keep the blame game going, then this country is going to go down the tubes and you can just kiss it goodbye or you can have the courage to take a stand and either run for an office or support somebody who will. Because if not, at the end of the day, we lose our country, guess what? It's our fault. And I'm telling you, I'm taking a stand. I don't mind coming up out of the foxhole, as it were. I don't mind raising the banner. But if I'm the only one doing it, guess what? It's a failure. It's an absolute failure. So my goal is to inspire everyone else to rise up and to participate in this effort. So God bless you, and thanks again, Robert. Thank you very much, man. It's great to hear from you again. Uh, you are definitely welcome to come on uh, to the show again. And, and perhaps if I'm passing through uh, Illinois, as I may be doing uh, in uh, August because I'm going to be going to Nebraska. So if anyone wants to do a little uh, traveling over the summer, I'm going to be headed there uh, with the family to go watch the uh, Soar Eclipse Across America, as it's called. And so I'm going to be headed somewhere in Nebraska to go uh, spend some time with the family and to uh, have that experience, which I'm really looking forward to. And so uh, definitely look forward to next week. Uh, as I said, we're hoping to have uh, Pat Buchanan on, or at least we're working on it, uh, but also working on having uh, this person on again. We had her on the show uh, back in 2012, and that is the singer of the song I play every night, and I will do so again tonight. And that is the song by Aubrey Ashburn. And you can hear more of her music by going to www.aubreyashburn.com. So have a good week, everyone. Take care. And we will see you later. Good night. Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? 
a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.